We're sitting here at 15 Perry Street in our studio, and today's another new podcast on the Metro Military, and I got my sidekick, Paul Martinez, helping co-host. Hey, everybody. So we have Matt with us today. Matt, thanks so much for coming to the uh, Metro Military podcast, and especially traveling all the way from Denver. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, we're going to, you know, go down a, a couple different ways. We were having a conversation prior to this, you know, well, actually, we go back. We went to dinner and stuff last night, and... Um, had a good time there and had a lot of conversations. I had to stop the conversation on a couple occasions because we didn't want to cover too much before today because then it'll be... What are we going to talk about? We just rehash stuff and it wouldn't be quite as exciting. Um, but, you know, we, we got down the, the whole discussion of our aches and pains this morning. And, you know, there's I think there's a lot of people that probably are dealing with a lot of the different, you know, traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress, and we cover this a lot, but then there's this, these just ailments. And in pale, Paul, you were talking about, you know, like um, just the nerves, you know, and how it was affecting different things like your eyesight. Yeah. Like I couldn't, I stopped shooting long range or through any kind of weapon with an optic with my right eye because I couldn't see, I couldn't acquire a sight picture after about 30 to 45 seconds. And I thought, okay, well, too many knocks on the head. I'm just old and shitty. Yeah. So I would shoot left-handed, and that's fine, you know. Um, it turns out there's nothing wrong with my eyes. I have a nerve in my shoulder that's attached to the muscles in my eye or the optic nerve. I don't know. I'm a meat eater. And <laughs> I got that worked on to make my shoulder feel better. And I was like, you know, this is the same thing I experience when I'm laying in the prone and I'm, I've got a rifle in my pocket in my shoulder pocket. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then my vision starts to get blurry. And it's, it's funny because on my last trip over, that was one of the things I started to experience after getting too many blasts to the head myself on that trip. Oh, really? The same thing, the same with, thing the with the eyes. Yeah. I had a huge problem. I had a huge problem overlaying my red dot onto wow. my target. And I, at first I wasn't even noticing what was happening, but I was going back and forth between my eyes trying to get one on the target and one yeah. off, you know, and, and I shoot both eyes open. And so yeah. it's just really weird for me not to be able to get that overlay. And then I found out the same thing. And then I told you, I went in and I got dry needling, changed my life. Yeah, that's actually, that's life. the next step for me too, is to get dry needles because they couldn't do it with the, the manual stimulation they were doing. So, yeah. so, so your dominant eye was, wasn't able to do what your dominant eye is supposed to do. Right. So did you, did you come up with a workaround in the meantime? Or you just No, because we were running night ops. And so I was okay. just, yeah. Oh, you just point and click. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good interface. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you don't know and you're listening, the, the, magic of night vision and lasers on your weapons is you press the button and if your laser is properly sighted to that weapon whatever that dot is on that's where the bullet should go roughly so yeah it changes things at night it's almost and i was fortunate enough to have a nice spot out to about 200 where i could oh, get nice where I could get my uh my what do we call them le5s i can get my yeah. le5 like zeroed in nice so you had a real good long yeah. range well, it's, you know, it's funny is like the last guys I took out actually wasn't even long range. It was right. maybe 50 yards away, 50 meters away, yeah. roughly. And they were fixing us up in L shape on us. Nice. And yeah. And it was, it was weird because we had the guys dropping the ID in front. And so we had kind of like halted movement because they were digging it on the road. And my commander at the time was, he's thinking, well, maybe we ought to like just call in an airstrike on these guys. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm sitting there, I was like, just let me just, dude, unleash the dogs, yeah. man. Let's just go yeah. up there and walk up and schwack these dudes That's so we can move meters. on to the objective. Yeah. It's nothing. Not to mention, you don't want to drop an airstrike that close, you know? No. Like, absolutely don't well, want to be. Well, then you have to move. They're going to get tipped off because it's hard right. to Right. It's just a pain in the ass. So as these guys are laying in the IED in front of us, um, I noticed off to our right flank, I just noticed a light pop up. 
Yeah. And I was like, oh shit, they shouldn't be there. You know, cause we had already yeah. done a big clearance out behind light pops up and then another one and then another one. And I see these three yep. guys, four guys start emerging and moving online. And I looked at, uh, I looked at my buddy and I was like, Hey man, you want to smoke these guys real quick? And he's like, <laughs> you want he's to like, he's like, right uh, I don't want to, he's like, oh, I don't want to open up right now because of the weapon system he was on. And the military is really finicky about us yeah. talking about what weapon systems we were shooting at the time. Gotcha. So, uh, he's like, no, I don't want to open up at this point and give away what we got. And right. I was like, That's fair, dude. That's yeah. fair. And so That's I just, smart. so I just waited and then, and then just popped them. Like I got uncomfortable after a while with how close they were getting. I was like, yeah. no, nah, I just dropped a couple of them. And then they just kind of disappeared and, then yeah. we sent forward some Afghans, and they took care of the guys in the road for us. Nice. Yeah. That's interesting. That's really interesting. So yeah. they knew where you were, or roughly. They they knew we were coming because we were doing a clearing operation, and we gotcha. had and they had a we had an actual objective at the end that they'd probably figured out that we were coming for. Okay. And so uh, yeah, they were they were they were going to defend that at all costs. Okay. I got you. So they didn't necessarily know you were there, but they knew you were going to be there. They knew we were coming. Well, okay. it, it was a multi-day operation. So the first day we we did our shaping up to it just to, right. in order to penetrate as far as we did. So yeah. they they knew it was coming. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. I think it's funny because I think a lot of times the go-to, and I've seen this on the ground, people hire whatever you want to call them, whether it's hires on boots on the ground or hires up, up in the talk. They're like, Oh, well we've got this air asset. And it's like, you know, we're a hundred, we're within a hundred to 200 meters. We got guns. Like gun, guns still air? shoot bullets. Yeah. Like what this, let us do what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And it adds this level of complexity into it. And sometimes it's the right call, but most of the time I'm just thinking like, what, what are we here for then? Some, sometimes it's the right call. Sometimes it's the wrong call. You know, yeah. like I also had a time where, I was moving forward on an assault and my commander had halted me and he's like, Matt, he's yeah. like, are you, are you behind cover? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm behind cover. Yeah. Are we doing okay? I was like, yeah, man, I'm behind cover. And he's like, all right, well stay down. And before I know it, I'm getting covered in freaking moon dust and took a shock to the freaking face. Yeah. I'm like, dude, what the hell are you dropping on? Why are you dropping right now? Like, I haven't heard you call it enemy positions. I haven't heard you call it shit. And yet you're dropping ordinance danger close to me. Like, why are you dropping 500 pound bombs from a supersonic aircraft yeah. danger close on your lead assault element without telling me there's enemy position, like enemy nearby, like anything going on. Yeah. You just tell me to get behind cover. Like that's kind of jacked up, man. I, I kind of feel like I should know what's going on It'd as, be nice as the assault the leader, yeah. right? Like if you could tell me what's happening, that'd be great. And uh turns out he's just dropping on a enemy position or a fighting position. Okay. Not even enemies in there. They yeah. had squirted as we were moving close. And he had called that out maybe like an hour before. I was like, dude, whatever. We're going to, I mean, we've been schwacking dudes all day. Like, let yeah. It be. Yeah. Like, Man. I don't know. I mean, some people just want to blow some shit up and I can't blame them for that. But no. it's nice to know if the world around you is going to explode. Like, it's nice to have a heads up about why. Oh, yeah. You if know, you, and yeah. how much of it's going to explode. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, how long I need to yeah. keep my head down. Yeah. If you haven't seen like a B-52 unleash, it's like unholy hell like dude it's, it's great watching them awesome. just watching them just winchester a load of like 28 500 pound bombs is just i have not seen that it's i great. have definitely not seen that i'm that telling you right now it is sweet. phenomenal <laughs> <laughs> that sounds biblical man it is yeah it it definitely does especially when you paint the picture of that whole thing um i'm curious you know when you started out in um portland and yet, you know, you end up uh, in different places now, obviously, because of your military career. Um, but when you came out of Portland and stuff, where, 
um, at that time frame, what were you kind of thinking about coming into the military? What was the thing that led you into the military? Was it service? Was it college money or? No, it was none of that. So I had, uh, I had two older brothers that went in the Marines before I did. Oh, okay. and, and so I always wanted to bring, be in the Marines. I was like, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm going to be a jarhead just like my older brothers. And right before I went to go down to sign up for the Marines, like down at maps, I had grown up this country lifestyle. So I took my 20 gauge out to a railroad tracks, go shoot some birds. And I didn't have air pro in shot my 20 gauge off a couple times. And the ring didn't go away when I, by the time I had gone to maps. And so the Marine Corps DQ'd me and they're like, Nope, we don't want you. I was just broken hearted. So I tried doing a waiver and everything else. The Marines were like, Nope, sorry, bud. You're off the table. The Marine Corps DQ'd you. That's yeah. interesting. Isn't that sad? Yeah, I mean, seriously, <laughs> I, I can remember, you know, on my days of recruiting where guys that we would DQ, the Marines could just give a physical test, and then they would go. Right. And if they didn't pass the mental and all of that, but, in, yeah, so it is kind of interesting. So it is. It's it's really interesting that the Marines, like, no-goed me for that, especially mm-hmm. when you look at, like, you know, you fast-forward to the time of the surge and stuff. I had dudes that did coke, like, three times in a row. And we wouldn't kick out. We just bust them down to E1, and they would just stay there until we got tired of them. Wow. You know, and, like, it didn't matter. It didn't, yeah. like, we didn't care because we just wanted people. Mm-hmm. So, what, what year were you trying to get into the Marine Corps? O two. O two. Yeah. I had a similar experience. I tried to join, and they said I was not educated enough because I dropped out of high school, and I just had my GED. Really? And I'm like, that doesn't. This is early GY days, too, so. I mean, it was 2006. Yeah. So, you know, I, and I don't know. I mean, they they. They're, What's funny is if you'd gone back to him like a year later, yeah. they'd, have, they'd have probably been okay with it. Really? Yeah. That's crazy, man. No, it is. So, change. You, so you couldn't go Marines, so you decided to go Army. And no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I read that. So when I couldn't go Marines, um, I was volunteering at a fire department, and then they had given me, uh, what do you call it, when they pay for college? What's that? Like college, college tuition, tuition college tuition, tuition yeah. assistance, whatever, yeah. scholarship. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'd intern at the fire department and they'd pay my way through college. So I did that for a whole semester and I was like, I can't do this shit. This is just, I can't, why? 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 And I'm just banging my head on the table like, yeah. this is horrible. I hate this because I also had, um, while I did get a little bit of money from the fire department and going to college, it definitely, and I stayed at the fire station and then I would go to school. But it wasn't enough to live off of, so I also had a job on top of that. So I was doing that's tough internship, college, and a job. And my sleep would happen at the fire department. And if I wasn't, if I was able to sleep through it through the night, I'd feel okay. Yeah. But I'd get woken up a lot, and I wouldn't be able to sleep through the night. And God forbid they like pick you to jump on an ambulance and ride to the hospital because now you got to wait on a ride back to the department. I just lost even more sleep. So. Uh, I had called my mom one night, or one day, I had called my mom, and she was like, well, why don't you just try going into the Army? I was like, those guys are a bunch of freaking retards. I don't want to be in the Army. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> you know? That's and, fair. Well, yeah. and, and I was drinking the Marine Corps Kool-Aid yeah, at the yeah, time, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, uh, now, so, was your father, when you, uh, your whole family, obviously, here, three brothers, you know, three sons have gone into the, the service and stuff. Was this something that your family, no, okay. No, no. I, uh, my dad left home when I was, when I was wee little, my folks got divorced. And I had a stepdad that came in, never served. Hmm. Um, and my dad was a mailman by trade. And he was kind of a horrible human being, but we're not going to get on that subject. Yeah, but yeah, he was, yeah, he was kind of a horrible human being, so I never really respected or grew up with him at all. And so, uh, yeah, it was just something that my brothers and I ultimately just, I don't know, we took interest in it. We just wanted to do it. And I, when my, bro- my older brother, when he came back from boot camp, 
he was sitting out in his truck, like eating an MRE one day. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And uh, looking back now, I was like, why the hell would you be eating that? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. But yeah. So, uh, my mom, my mom was like, yeah, I give the army a try. Why don't you see about the army? I was like, all right, I'll do that. I was like, I don't even know what I would do in the army. And so uh, I signed up not really knowing anything about the Army whatsoever, and I signed up on an 11 x-ray contract, which I didn't even know that when you sign up on an 11x contract, you may be infantry or you may be indirect fire infantry, like a mortarman. I didn't know that was a thing. Mm -hmm. And when I got, I just thought I was going to show up and and shoot guns and kick doors and do all that fun stuff. Yeah. We've had this conversation a lot because the path that Chris Van Sant, um, you... Was it Lee? Um, no, not Lee. They tried to get him. Yeah, they tried to get him. That's right. And uh, he was able to talk his way out. But there's been so many that's come through those same doors that um, ended up going loving Charlie, loving Mike, and they they thought they were going, you know. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. I was just standing in line for chow, and the drill sergeants came out, and they were like, everybody from here, take one step back, you know, and just knife-handed this entire, like, 800-man formation and separated us, and I had made it by, like, two ranks. And I was like, what the hell just happened? And they're like, well, everybody behind us is 11 Charlie. We're 11 Bravos. I was like, I don't know what the difference is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how did you end up going 11 X-ray in the first place? Is because the guidance counselor just thought because you're going, uh, you wanted to go Marine Corps, that that meant you obviously wanted to go infantry? Or no, this- so I was out fishing with my stepdad. We were out fishing one day. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I like guns. He was like, well, why don't you just look at the infantry? I was like, well, I don't know what that is, but yeah, let's take a look at that. So I went and I talked to the counselor and he, or the recruiter, and he's like, yeah, you'll play with guns. That's yeah. what you guys do is you play with guns. Yeah, okay, yeah, sounds like a good time. Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. Man. <laughs> That's, what, what was the MOSs of your brothers in the Marine Corps? Uh, one was an engineer. Um, he drove uh, big construction equipment, and the yeah. other one was a satellite communication specialist. Okay, so neither of them were infantrymen themselves. and No, and I think even the SATCOM, my brother that did SATCOM, he got transferred because the marines do weird things he got mm-hmm. transferred to be a like a small generator mechanic or something like that really yeah that's weird right it is weird the marine corps is weird for those of you listening i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> you guys do weird shit um all right so you end up going into the infantry you're at OSID, and you didn't have like an option 40 contract or anything like that at this point so no airborne nothing so oddly enough i actually did have airborne in my contract oh is I, that something you asked for i didn't know it even existed <laughs> <laughs> wow really, really a master of your own fate at this point I, I really was no i look back at my youth i was i was a really smart kid and uh yeah, it was one of those things, like, towards the end of uh, basic training, they were like, hey, if uh, you got airborne in your contract, you needed to, you know, come over here. And I was like, what the hell is airborne? You know, and they, they had uh, had us open up our contracts, and I was shocked. I remember seeing airborne in my contract. I was like, so I'm going to jump school now. They're like, yeah. So, and you have no idea how that got into your contract? I had no idea. No. Wow. And it's even funnier because the Army told me when I had signed up for it, um, because that hearing issue was still on the record from the Marines and they were like, look, man, you're not going to do anything cool. You're not going to jump out of airplanes. You're not going to be like special forces. You're not going to do anything like that. You know, if you want to be a ground hunter, that's one thing, but you're not going to get this. And apparently I walked downstairs and signed an airborne contract right afterwards. So I had no idea. You just probably just signed the wrong stack of paper or something like that. Yeah, whatever. It worked out for me, man. I'm not going to. Yeah, no, it's awesome. (laughs) At that moment when you found out that you were going airborne, not knowing too much about it, but you're going to jump out of planes. What was your initial thought? 
Oh, I didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, and like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't care. I was like, ah, oh, it's going to be fun. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it's whatever. But it, it, honestly, in the back of my heart, I think I was a little upset, you know, because I, I was going to have some extra time away from home that I wasn't planning on. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was going to do something fun. So, yeah. yeah. At this point, you didn't know your assignment because no, I did. Yo, you did. So I got sucked in um, initially. Yeah. My career's weird. Yeah. So I started off, uh, I got sucked into the honor guard. So I started off actually oh. doing funerals in as Arlington. A, as a private? Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. So they had uh, the honor guard recruiter come down to her basic training. And I had, again, this is Matt. Like, I didn't even know I signed up for Airborne in my contract. You yeah, know, like, yeah. let's be real here. Like, I was I was pretty naive. And the guy came out, um, the honor guard recruiter came out. And he's like, look, uh, you guys are the official escort to the president. You guys are going to be doing some great things. You know, you're going to be in Washington, D.C. And he talked it up like we were the Secret Service. You know what I mean? Is basically how yeah. he presented it to us. And I was really butthurt when I showed up to my unit after going through infantry training and airborne training, thinking I'm going to go be an escort to the president. And I find out there's a company that's devoted entirely to dressing up like they were from the 1700s, you know, like George Washington's yeah. personal escort. Is that what and you did? Yeah. I, I showed up and did I was, you really? yeah, I was like, like, dude, if, if there is one thing I absolutely don't want to do, it's wear wigs and tights every day. And so, <laughs> no joke. and they sent me to the company that wears wigs and tights, but at the same, so we had what was called like the sink guard platoon, right? The commander in chief's guard platoon. Yeah. And they're the ones that, that was like their primary role. Um, I was in a firing party platoon. So we did the firing parties in Arlington and then we had like a escort platoon and a casket platoon. And that one company, there's four different platoons. Wow. And we'd rotate through that. And then the details would also come down um, to go unload the caskets off the aircraft at Dover um, as they were coming in from the war. And, and you so, guys did that? Yeah, we did yeah. that. Yeah, quite a few times. And yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was different. Yeah. It was definitely That's a different story. really different. Well, I mean, you you had to go through the, the training and everything just like, you know, everybody else, though. Yeah, it's still, and, and that's the crazy part is it's still an infantry unit and so you still have to do like your annual quals and stuff like that you still Mm -hmm. get through team squad platoon live fires and and all the other crap while you're at it so not only are you doing all the ceremonial crap but then you go out to the field and you're doing infantry stuff stuff. and Mm -hmm. and you kind of get a infantry stuff yeah you kind of get a taste of both well it wasn't even modern because you know we're talking like oh three back then and so you know we're running around with lvvs and skull crushers on you know what i mean And, and doing like you know movement contacts in the woods and stuff like that. Yeah. Like that's our, that was our qualifications back then, you know, like yeah, yeah, the Cold War certain. stuff. Yeah. It was yeah. all Cold War crap. FM seven dash eight, you know, like, jeez, man. So did, did you ever, um, they have like a badge or is that just for those who, the um, tomb guards. Tomb. Okay. So you never got that then? No, I didn't. I, I never went to the tomb that was in the tomb guards. Um, I knew a couple, um, of the guys that would go down there. And that's just an intense, intense training process. Yeah. I think it's like 18 pages that they memorize verbatim that they have to get down on knowledge of everything about Arlington National Cemetery. They pull, it's basically like being a brand new cop. You got to pull the graveyard shift. So they're out yeah. there. That's when they actually learn to march on the tomb is they take them out at nighttime when there's no spectators around and they'll take them out there. And then they also do like, I'm sure they don't do this anymore because it's the new army, but they also used to do like these weird random hazings and in order to get them to memorize the cemetery, they would have them like, you know, they'd give them like 15 minutes to go and get an etching off a tombstone, like a carbon copy oh, etching off of a tombstone. That way they could show like basically like land nav yeah. of the cemetery that, that they had like that in-depth knowledge of it. So they would send them out to all That's the... Intense, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and the, I mean, and their uniforms were just absolute perfection. Yeah. You know, yeah. Absolute perfection. And... uh their, their, their arms manual, everything's absolute perfection. 
as a matter of fact, one of the, one of the guys, when I first showed up to the unit, Adam Dickmeyer, um, actually like teach me how to press my uniforms and take care of myself yeah. and everything else. And he went on to be a tomb guard down there. And then he went to the 101st and he got later killed. And so he was one of like just a couple tomb guards that have been actually killed in combat that are actually buried yeah. in Arlington National Cemetery. And going to his funeral was actually really, that was just kind of one of those odd experiences to where like we had like all the tomb guards had showed up and there were his honorary casket bearers. And yeah, like it was, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. It was, it was pretty special. Wow. So. Are those guys like that duty generally? I mean, obviously everybody's different, but what, the, yeah. the guys you talk to that were tomb guards, like, yeah, man, yeah. I suppose it's like any other, um, you know, specialty field that you can look yeah. at in the military. Like guys that want to do that stuff, like you really want to do it, you know. And they take great pride in it. They're always yeah. they wear uh, those aviator sunglasses, the tomb guard mm-hmm. glasses, and like yeah. you'll you'll see the tomb guard out in town because they'll have their cool guy glasses on walking cool. around. Yeah. yeah. So you dressed up just in the 1700 stuff like once a year you guys had to go through that or was it more frequent? Oh, God. Um, I honestly don't remember how <laughs> frequent like, it was. I mean, like at least I never at least, heard at least that. once a month. Yeah. At oh, least really? Once a, yeah. At least once a month. Yeah. Because like, I mean, everything. yeah. Yeah, we had muskets and like you'd have to like go and you'd take like steel wool and shine the barrel of your musket, brasso. Like, like relive the Battle of Gettysburg or something? Yeah, or? all the time. Okay. Yeah, as a matter of fact, there was a, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, George Washington's place. We'd go and do like a firing demo. Really? Like every year at, at, on like George was Washington's like property. Mon- Mount Vernon. Mount, Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon. Okay. Mount Vernon. Yeah, yeah, We'd yeah. do like a Mount Vernon firing demo. And like the company would go up there and do a firing demo once wow. a year, so I did that For I think once or twice. Who would you do the, the public? Firing? The public, the okay. public, because like the public goes up there and they visit the house of George Washington and they go and check out all these different things. So they're wanting to see you know movement to contact based on that era. Yeah, and the actors are active duty soldiers. Yes, I never would have. And I don't even think that. people knew that. No, I don't I, even. They, think people they probably thought they were actors. Yeah, yeah, I guess technically, right? So you know, like. Musket battle drills. I know. Is that so, a thing? so it, <laughs> yeah, no, that's not a joke. Yeah, no, I do. No it's, it's really creepy. Yeah. So everybody knows, like, uh, like infantry guys. Like we know, like Baron Friedrich von Steuben, right? Like he's yep. always brought up and all the. Th- yeah. No, we studied his. Wow. Stuff like that's what we trained on. That was like the, the arms manual and the the battle drills, if you will, of like the 1700s. How odd is this? I mean, like you know, you, you take an individual again coming off the streets, you know, coming into the army, especially someone like Matt who's not expecting or knowing anything about the infantry, or let alone airborne. You're thinking you're going to get assigned to 82nd, 173rd, you know, maybe an airborne unit or something of that nature. And instead, you go play dress up seventeen hundred army style. Yeah, and I, I didn't know this was a conversation I, I could have. I, I didn't, didn't, I didn't I know didn't. this was in the realm of possibility. <laughs> we, thank God we didn't talk about this last night because right. this is too damn good. Yeah, uh, right. Like bringing me in, you did not expect to have a no, combo. No. Yeah. No. Well, and why the hell did they airborne qualify you? I did, they didn't even have airborne. Like, yeah. Yeah, no idea. Like, what the? That is. It's nobody ever said the army was filled of, filled with bright people, and I think amazing. we all know like the one thing the military is horrible at is paperwork. That's true. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. I just it raises so many. I questions. if I would have gone up there and seen this event, I never would have guessed that anybody and wearing those uniforms are active duty military. Maybe a few, just because those are the ones that's going to interact with the public, and they want it to be a little bit. So yeah. maybe a handful or something like that. But the rest of them would be just local volunteers who... Because, I mean, there are people, civilians, who do this all the time. Right. 
Now, do those guys, those the civilian reenactors, are they big fans of yours? Or did you interact with them at all? Or? That's a good question. No, I don't. You never yeah, autographed yeah. any pictures or anything. You know, like this is never something that anybody has ever wanted to know about my military yeah. career. So it's actually nice to kind of just unload this on you guys. <laughs> well, <laughs> but you're going to have some dude that's listening to this podcast that's going to get put in this situation. And he's going to go, damn it. I remember. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out. What the hell? Well, I, I thought of, I was getting an airborne contract then, you know. Yeah. So, well, if you're going to the recruiter, look out. <laughs> you know, there's one more thing you got to make sure you don't, right? you don't yeah. get sent to. And what's worse is everybody's like infantrymen, yeah. you know, like that's in that unit. And so when uh, you're, when yeah, right. So a lot of guys get like discouraged and going from there, they're like, man, I'll never make it in a regular infantry after this because it's nothing like this. And so there's this huge stigma yeah. that actually floats around that unit of guys that want to get out because they'll make, they'll make E5 while they're there. Yeah. And then they'll be like, well, shit, now i got to go to a real infantry unit. i got to yeah. be real infantrymen after this, and and they're scared. But you yeah. guys don't deploy either while you're they, they there? They did. Oh, they did? They did. I actually did a rotation with them okay. over to uh, East Africa. Oh, really? Yeah. And what so, were you doing there? Like, FID. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you bring your musket? No. <laughs> I wish. Oh, that would have been great, man, like fixed bayonets on some uh, skinnies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> man. Wow. Yeah, I, I just wouldn't have thought that you would have even deployed just because of the fact that you're not getting an opportunity to really be an infantryman, you know, all the time. And Right. So Well, they are being infantrymen. Well, they are, but in they're a different era. Using, they're just old school. <laughs> right. Yeah. Three, 300 years earlier. Just doing that vintage stuff, man. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just crazy. Uh, so how long did you end up staying, uh, staying there? Like three years? Four years. Four years? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I would hope that'd be like an 18 month assignment. Yeah. You know, you would think, yeah. but it takes a while to perfect that stuff. Yeah. And you, and you really, and it is a very important job. Like I remember, um, we were getting ready to do an active duty funeral one time and, uh, we had all the guys that were sitting around cause we're waiting on like the family. So you'll end up doing funerals. You know, if you're on a funeral rotation, you know, and your companies will rotate through who's like on primary for the cemetery. And, um, when you're in primary for the cemetery, you spend all day doing funerals. If you're doing full honors funerals, you can go up to do four a day. If you're doing standard honors funerals for the day, uh, you can do six to eight, you know, wow. over the course of a day. And so it, it really does take up your whole time. So you get downtime in between. And so we were more or less on our lunch break in between the morning and the afternoon. And we had an active duty um, Green Beret that had been killed that we were um, going to be burying. And we were all kind of like sitting around and, uh, that that guy's team actually showed up and talked to us out of nowhere. It was the only time it ever happened, but uh, that guy's team showed up and he's like, I know it feels like you guys aren't doing anything and you guys want to get out there and you want to get in the fight and you want to go like kick some ass. Yeah. He's like, but you're actually doing a really important job. Yeah. And that's when it kind of like set in like, yeah, you know, you actually do want people that are handling this well and professional. Yeah. And if and I actually put it in, Later on in my career, I actually had put it in like the specific company in platoons that I wanted bearing me in Arlington if I was an active duty KIA. So it was kind of nice oh. to have that knowledge. Yeah, no, I knew who was actually going to do it. Yeah. I mean, like, we're making light of the fact of, you know, wearing the, the leotards and the whole thing. But let's face it, you had a very respectable and what you did, um, you know, was honoring those who had fallen and either past or present. Right. And, and that was, you know, I'm sure an honor for you to be able to do that as well on a daily the, basis. The first time I flew into Dover and was carrying caskets off of a plane and um, 
I remember the first two caskets I offloaded were heavy, and then the third one I offloaded was light. And that was one of those oh shit moments. Yeah. And yeah. some of them are leaking still. I mean, it's uh, it's a very real thing. Yeah. It's a very real yeah. thing. And that was also the that was also the time when the the photos from Dover had spilled out and the, the public had lost their their shit and they were like, why didn't why aren't we seeing this? Why aren't we allowed to see this? Yeah. Oh, I remember that time frame because yeah, there was a decision made to no longer share those images and and that was that was the feeling of a lot of us that were going on it. Like it's not something that the public should be allowed to see. Like it, it really isn't. It's a it's a private military event, much like a ramp ceremony or a, a closed yeah. door memorial service. Like it's honestly, it's none of your Man, business I, what's taking place here. Well, you give me chills. I remember watching a video <clears throat> of um, a particular soldier, and I don't recall who it was, but um, the the guard that actually you know goes and drives the the vehicle. Um, the individual walks around the back, the ceremony and, and moves that they make to even open the band doors and, you know, those types of things. And then the, you know, the, the troops coming down with the casket. I mean, they, the, the, ceremon- the ceremonial portions in the, I mean, it's crisp, it's respectful, it's, it's, to me, it was mind blowing too. Just, uh, the amount of training that you guys go through in, there's, in order to deliver that ceremony at that moment. There's a great movie that actually exists, and everybody from like the Honor Guard knows, knows about this movie because James Earl Jones was in it, and it was a big movie production that was back in the 80s, and it's called Gardens of Stone. And I watched it while I was in the unit, and I remember looking at it and being like, well, this is kind of stupid because it was set in Vietnam. It's about a guy that shows up. It, it actually, when I look back at it, it kind of reflects a lot on my life and the way I went about it. There's just this young guy there that's like, I just want to go to war. I just want to go to war. I want to go to war. And he stayed in that unit for so long, but he finally got promoted, got out of the unit, went to Vietnam and ended up getting killed and came back. And a lot of his friends did his burials for him and, and were involved in that. One of the guys was a Medal of Honor recipient. And, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very... Very humbling yeah. movie to watch, mm. like when you go back and you look at it. So if you haven't seen it, I suggest you watch no, it. No, I'm definitely going to yeah. watch it now that yeah. you mentioned that. So like, it, so some of the stuff that you guys end up doing, I'm assuming, has been passed on for multiple generations of individuals who've done this before you. you know? It's actually funny you say that. Yeah, so um, once a year they have like an alumni where you'll get like old timers. They'll come back and we'll really? have them stand in on the firing parties and like they still got it, man. They still got it. That's wow. actually really, really cool. Yeah. That's yeah. really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're 100% right, both of you. I mean, what an important job. Yeah, very you important. Yeah. Like, it's, I, I got to be a part of a firing pro. I talked about it yesterday. Yeah. Honorable Santiago uh, was killed in Afghanistan, and I was on his firing party, and we were just Ranger snipers. Mm-hmm. That's what he wanted. He wanted us to do it. So, I'm sorry, Ranger buddy, we weren't as crisp as, oh, yeah. as you guys but were, it, but it was fucking cool. Yeah, and it's it was. Different. It's it's weird because, and I've talked to some of my buddies that were there about it, like it was the best, worst thing I've ever had to do. And mm-hmm. I only had to do it once. Mm-hmm. But being able to make sure he was put to rest the right way um, and in the fashion that he chose and, and to, you know, to do that was, that's the great, it's the greatest honor I've ever had. And I couldn't even imagine like the emotional struggle going through doing that either. I've, I've never yeah. done one for my own friends. I've never, yeah, I've never done one for my own buddies. I can imagine the emotional struggle going into that. It took me a long time just to, one of my friends that got killed, just to call and talk to his wife. Yeah. Just to call and talk to his wife. Like, it took me a while just to do that. Did you recognize sometimes, um, 
you know, when individuals had served, let's say, even in World War II, and that, you know, it's the last gener- uh, greatest generation, and, and we're just about, all of them have just about died at this point. I mean, we've only got a limited number of individuals that really served during that period of time. And, you know, I, I can only imagine even being in that type of situation and seeing those people who served their country now being laid to rest so many years later in this cemetery and you being a part of that, that time, you know, I I didn't even think of that. Yeah. And in, you know, Vietnam or, so it wasn't just the soldiers of the day because you're recognizing and saluting and honoring those who had passed. um, Yeah. World War II, Korea, Vietnam. Yeah. I mean, It, did did you cool. take that in at that moment, or was that something maybe much later? No, I did, if for whatever reason, you know, just I think youth, you know, yeah. as a kid, you really don't care. And yeah. let's face it, 18 years old, you're yeah. kind of a kid, and you really, you know, I'm more worried about going out and drinking and chasing tail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this your first enlistment? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, for so you didn't re-enlist there? Or? No. Okay. <laughs> well, I say, well, so, why not? Well, I, so I reenlisted to get out of there. Okay. So, so that's what I was going with because, like, uh, I didn't know if you went in on a three, a four, what you did. I, I went in as an E1. I took nothing. No, I mean a, a three year enlistment or. A, oh, I, you know, I don't remember. Yeah. But you. <laughs> you <laughs> of course, I don't know. You, that's but, awesome. Man. But you re enlisted. And what did, did you request? Um, duty location is your primary you know, request as far as. I, so when I sat down with the reenlistment guy, I looked at what unit was kind of in the next of the shoot to rotate out yeah. uh, to go over to Iraq. So I reenlisted for the 3rd Infantry Division, and so I just went straight there. Okay. And then I was gone like six months after I showed up, probably. Nice. Yeah, I took off. So Yeah. Yeah, I sat down, and he was like, oh, there's this, you know, like they, they put out the rotation schedule and stuff at the time. They kind of ironed a lot of that mm-hmm. crap out. And, uh, yeah, so I went to the 3rd ID. Down in Fort Stewart. Fort Stewart, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Good to be back. <laughs> there used to be, I, don't, I guess there's still, there's not any longer, but there used to be an element of that. There was a detached element that was at Fort Benning all the time. It initially, it was the 197th uh, Infantry Brigade. It became part of 3rd ID when 3rd ID, mm-hmm. 24th became 3rd. And, um, and then... Third ID um, had a, they just had a detached. We had a whole, we had a whole brigade over there. Yeah, brigade. Yeah, yeah, we had a whole brigade at yeah, Fort Bragg. Right. Yeah, when you say detachment, I don't think people realize like it's. I was as big as Ranger Battalion. I mean, they were bigger. Well, they were bigger because yeah. they were a brigade. But there were a yeah. ton of them. Huh? There were a ton of them. Yeah, yeah. no. And that's nice was... when they were out of town. You could actually, like, get into the bar. You could. Right? <laughs> it was true. Yeah. It, was tr- it was so true because I was there when they were 197th. And um, then when they, we became part of 3rd ID and the whole thing, they were there. And it was just so odd that they were a detached brigade that was yeah. sitting there. And they almost felt like they weren't part of it. No. Because they were so detached. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because you're on a trade dock installation. Right. Um, you're the only force comm unit. I mean, you got a, a you know, special ops unit sitting over here, too. But for the most part, it's yeah. it's just you're the largest entity outside of the trade dock oh, yeah. organization. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I remember a lot of those guys, just it just felt odd to them. You know, they felt a little off. and um, They seemed a little off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so you spent how many years at 3rd ID then? 
three. Okay. Three, four. Was it this time frame? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Did you end up going to ranger school during this time frame? I did, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I... Uh, How'd you get that uh, that school? So I went... Uh, I got back from Iraq and then tried out and went to a sniper section. And oh, did I had, you? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I and didn't know that's something. Did you talk? Oh, did you guys talk? No, about we this? didn't talk about any of this. Oh, no, okay. you told me specifically <laughs> last night <laughs> at, at supper. That. You were like, "No, don't talk what? about work." So we got sniper we to, bros here. Yeah. All right. You were like, "No, don't talk about work." <laughs> that's what tomorrow's for. That's I right. Remember this that's conversation right. probably about the time I shook your hand. That definitely <laughs> happened. Yeah. But so yeah, I did that, and then when I went to uh, when I went to Beanock or. Uh, ALC? BNOC ALC? It was probably so, ALC at that time. Yeah, ALC? Yeah. Yeah, whatever. That, the E6 course. Yeah. So when I went yeah, to E6 the E6 school. course, yeah. <laughs> when I went to the E6 course, they were like, hey, if you guys want to go to Ranger School, you can go. And I had been trying to go to Ranger School for a really long time, but I kept getting, um, because I was enlisted, I'm pretty sure I just kept getting overlooked by the yeah. different lieutenants that had failed three different times. And, of yeah. course, you guys send the lieutenants because <clears> you want yeah. to, regardless of how many times they've been peered out. So... Um, yeah, when I went to Beanock, they were, <laughs> am I lying? Tell me if I'm lying, man. Yeah. Look, so. man, I don't even, <laughs> so. I'm not a, not a huge fan of lieutenants in general. So yeah. I'm so yeah. So, uh, when I was at Beanock, they were like, if you guys want to go to ranger school, you can go. I was like, really? They're like, yeah, just go take the RPFT. And if you pass, you're, you're good to hook. Yeah. So I went over, I crushed the RPFT and, yeah. uh, got my spot in ranger school. Which is not a hard test. No by the way. People are intimidated by it. Yeah. It's not hard. You just no. do what you normally do, and then three more miles. You guys yeah. didn't have like a pre-ranger or anything then? I did. Oh, so yeah. if that was one of the stipulations, was we had to go through the National Guard pre-ranger. Oh, the one at uh, Warrior a, Training Center at Fort Benning? That's a tough Fort course. Benning. That one actually sucks. So let me like, tell I you. I did not know that. That is, that yeah. So they have they um, have the highest rated graduation rate of any program pre-ranger. As a matter of fact, I've heard rumor that they may, you know, start getting a lot more pre-ranger students because of that success rate. It is a tough, that pre-ranger course is tough. A lot of people don't even know that exists on Benny. Now, I was taken there. We, um, I, I did something there on a personal level. I was invited there. I know some people and uh, they told me where it was. They're like, hey, just head out, you know, to, um, you know, ranger school and everything, go down that path and you're going to, you know, turn on this and, and so I'm driving out there, and I'm like, this was all woods. I mean, this is like, you know, when I was here, there, there was nothing out there. And I pull in, and I go, holy crap. Because you go down, like, this drive, and there's this fenced-in area. You don't really see anything, maybe a couple of buildings, you know, rooftops or whatever. Yeah. And you go in, and when you come in, you realize there's this whole world back there that you can't see from the main road. And they own a lot of land. I think they just acquired a lot more. I'd believe it. That they can do more maneuvers and stuff back there and do a lot more stuff. But, I mean, you've got, like, you know, a, a, the largest rappel tower, I think, that's in all the Army um, that's there. I heard this. Um, I'll take the word for it. Yeah. <laughs> the story, I believe, goes that there was a sergeant major that was, I think, 173rd at that time frame. may have had the highest tower or something of that nature. And he came from there. And when he came to the Warrior Training Center and they had to build one, he's like, we're going to build it like one foot taller or two foot uh, taller. Of course he did. So, Why wouldn't he do that? So, yeah. right. so, so You know what an engineering nightmare that probably was, too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they got this, you know, they got the C-130 sitting right behind it, you know, and um, nice little bleachers and everything in these barracks and they they do um they also do master gunner training there mm -hmm. for um you know m1s and armor yeah, and such sure. and i mean it's it's really massive and again when they were they, there was pre-ranger students that were walking through when i was there and that's when i was told oh this 
This is like the premier place you want to go to. And they send National Guardsmen, for anybody who's listening, they send a lot of the National Guard infantry units are sending privates to um, basic training um, at Fort Benning. You know, they go through the OSIT, they go to Airborne School, they go to Pre-Ranger, they go to Ranger School, and they come back to the unit as a private tabbed. Yeah. That's awesome. Crazy. That's yeah. awesome. It is awesome. We had when I went when I went through the uh, the National Guard Pre-Ranger course, there was I think ten out of twelve guys from an ODA from seventh group that were in there, and only wow. three of them made it through. Now, when I talked to those dudes, they were like, "Yeah, man." I was like, "Why? Are, why is your whole team here? Basically, like, what is your whole team doing out here?" And they were like, "Well, you know, in order for us to get some better missions, we wanted to get like more qualifications under our belt so we can do more things." That's a very real thing in group, you know. Yeah. Like the better the better you guys look on paper and the better you guys perform the better mission set you're going to get. You'll be able to fight for more things because you end up fighting for jobs in group. And uh, I think there, it may have been something their their dad, their team sergeant had put yeah. them up to. You know, Damn. Down there. So not, <laughs> yeah. not, not a lot of them really had their head in the game, but only three guys had made it out of uh, PRC, and then yeah. only one guy out of that team actually graduated. So, wow. I mean, it's that's a tough that's a tough course. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's no joke. Well, it's really cool that, you, you know, you went through it because I had heard all of this stuff, seen the facility, got a chance to, you know, tour it and go through it and such. But having now met somebody that actually went through it um, and saying the same thing, you know, that's that's really neat. You yeah. were Bravo 4 at this time? He'd already done U.S. Army sniper school? No. Or you were just OJT? No, I had, yeah, <laughs> OJT, bro. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I got that OJT. And I was actually, and it, it pissed my unit off even more, and it, particularly my battalion sergeant major, it pissed him off really bad because I was actually set up for sniper school right after. Uh, it's right around the corner there. Right after, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was supposed to be going to that right afterwards. I was, and I was like, well, I can get a sniper spot any day of the week, but you guys yeah, keep blowing me truth. off of Ranger's course, so like yeah. I'm going to Ranger school. Like, screw well, you guys. It's, it's better for promotion. And Too bad you could have done it like back-to-back, you know? Cause well, well uh, so we had a deployment coming up, too. That was oh, the other thing. So right. not only did I have um, ALC, PL, I don't know, whatever, whatever the was. E6 course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not only did I have the E6 course and then like pre-Ranger, and then ranger school. So I only had like two months off after I got back yeah. and I still had to do pre, pre, pre-deployment training as well. Yeah. So in between those two deployments, I mean, I spent maybe like a, a month, two months at home max before yeah. I went back overseas. So how many years were you at third ID before you went to ranger school then? Um, maybe a year. Wow. So you had to like, re- yeah, you had to like really get up to speed and everything else and then go off to, you know, well, I think it's just like anything else, you know, like if you, as long as you study and you know, you know, your stuff yeah. and you're a good leader, like Ranger school, you, you'd really think that it's all about like knowing tactics and things like that. It's not, it's about how can you motivate people to get something done that nobody wants to move? How do you motivate them? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the biggest takeaways that you'll actually get from Ranger school. In my opinion is how to be a people person and be able to get things done. Mm-hmm. I can see that. So wait, it, you talked very highly of Warrior Trainer Training Center and the Pre Ranger course and everything. But how much do you think that it actually prepared you for graduating? I mean, it was a tough course to get you to. Did you uh, think that it really set you up for that success? I think it does a really good job of weeding out people that just probably shouldn't be okay, in the first place, yeah. physically yeah. and mentally. Because there is a huge mental aspect to ranger school as well. Huge. I mean, like we were talking oh, yeah. last night, you recycled mountains. I was like, yeah. dude, if I would have recycled mountains, I recycled Derby. <laughs> and that wasn't no, that I, wasn't that bad. If I, I would have recycled gone, mountains, I would have cried. Yeah. I would have gone that. straight to the eighty second if I recycled Derby. Right. I hated Derby. I was I, I just said in my mind that it's so remedial. 
in, in Derby, and oh, it needs to be. Yeah. But you know, coming from three seven five, I'm like, I do this every day. Like, I cannot listen to these people. Oh yeah. And some of the stuff, I didn't have the best cadre in every instance when I was out there. So I had a negative experience. And I'm like, this is, and Derby phase is a weeding out phase it is, yeah. as well. Because there's guys that just, they've never been in that kind of suck. They're not that dedicated, especially, I think, from Ranger Battalions. Because you have to go or mm-hmm. they're going to kick you out. So it's sort of like, well, it, that's like their Hail Mary before they yeah. end up making 80-second selection. As I like to call it, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, and so you're you're with those shitheads too that haven't weeded themselves out, and so I just I was like I'm not doing Darby again. There's I don't no way. Blame I recycled my mountains, and I'm like, okay, we were coming up on a cycle break. I could eat blueberry pancakes for ten days. Yeah, I love being in the mountains. I'm from Colorado. I was like, this is awesome. This is great. Really, God. Oh, I was. It Dude, was I, hate I loved it. Mountains ate my soul. Really? Yeah. Like a, a little part of me is still out there. <laughs> <laughs> like I hate. It. Like I pissed myself. I remember I was. Wow. You can go visit. It's not that far from I here. I don't want to. <laughs> I walked. I remember like one of our first movements that we did up there. Like we spent yeah. all day walking up this hill in Dahlonega. And when I yeah. say hill, it's a. It's a damn mountain. It's a mountain. And yeah. we had spent all day walking up this mountain. When we got to the top and cut ruck, I was just laying there in the prone, yeah. holding security being a good little ranger and yeah, just randomly pissed myself. And I was like, well, how did that just like, wow, what just happened there? You know, like that's, that's how amazing. broke off. I was on that movement. I don't yeah. know what weight I was carrying. I don't remember any of that, but yeah, too much. One of, one of Here two you. times in my career, I've actually like randomly wet my pants. You don't want to get that looked at. No, it's man. Right. I mean, it's just, it's just, I mean, it's just like, you know, that physical <laughs> exertion level that you like bring yeah. yourself to, you know, yeah. but yeah, that's crazy, man. Ah, mountains was fun. I, yeah. I, I, well, I shouldn't be, say it was fun. It was, it was awful. It rained on us every day, and it was cold. And yeah, I mean, it was sh- super shitty, but it wasn't. It, what month did you go through mountains? Uh, it was October. Yeah, that yeah. sucks. It's cold pretty, and rainy. It gets pretty damn cold. The people don't yeah, realize how cold Georgia can get because it's yeah. kind of a wet cold, nasty cold too. And yeah. but we're be- we're above the the bottom of the freeze line, mm-hmm. so it, yeah. it still can get really nasty here. I went through in July. I, went, I remember I went through mountains in July. And oh, I remember hot freezing. Too. It was hot as hell during the day. And I froze my balls off at the night. Yeah, because you're at altitude. Mm-hmm. Enough yeah. altitude that it matters. You're at enough yeah. altitude that it matters. And that sweat that's just built up on you all day yeah. long, just so, so oh, cold yeah. and so crappy. And you're living on 1,000 calories a day. And you're burning through that by noon. Yeah. yeah. That's unpleasant. I, I was lucky. I, had a, I was, and I mean that sarcastically, I started, I did uh, regimental pre-ranger in August, I believe. And yeah, it must have been August. And then I had uh, I got a, a staph infection from my ruck because I was a dirty ranger. So I had to take <laughs> 30 days off. So I got to do pre-ranger in the hottest part oh, you know, of August. I mean, we did a range a week before I went to pre-ranger and the heat index was 130 fucking degrees. Yes. And I'm like, this is... This is America. It's not supposed to be. I thought, I'm not in Death Valley. I'm in Georgia. Yeah, with 100% humidity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, easily. Yeah. I mean, there were. But yeah. the military, man, it, it just figures out the best places to make your life suck. It does, yeah. yeah. yeah if you look at a heat map of uh, Fort Benning, Georgia in the summertime, there's just a red ball. It's just, it just hovers around yeah, the Yeah, it's like I sour on fucking hateful. It's a yeah, I, place. I do like when I was actually when I flew into the airport yesterday. I was thinking, I was like, man, this is the first time I've actually been to Georgia as a civilian yeah. since the day I joined the military, and I have absolutely no desire to go visit any of those places <laughs> that I've been in the military. Like, none. Oh man, that's funny. Wait, you flew into Columbus? N- no, I flew into Atlanta. Oh, okay, to Atlanta. When yeah. I when I joined the army, we, they flew us into Atlanta. Yeah. 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 
It's so, I mean, yeah, you're right here. I mean, Fort Benning, you know, an hour south of here. Delana goes about an hour and a half north of here. You oh, can go yeah. and visit both while you're here and, and reminisce about those those days of glory. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd, I'd rather go down the street to the diner and stick a fork in my eye <laughs> and see how fast I can spin it around before my eyeball pops uh, out before I go back to Benning or Dahlonega. You were talking last night. I did hear you guys talking about, was it Darby Face that you started hallucinating? Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I had, I had a massive hallucination in Darby. And, and like, I had... I had <laughs> I'm laughing in my head because I can see it. Yeah, there was a out in the middle of the woods. Leprechaun, we right? Well, the leprechaun came second. The <laughs> leprechaun was like the leprechaun was like the okay. Now I know I'm hallucinating. Like I know leprechauns don't exist, and they definitely shouldn't be laying next to me waving. Like I that was that was the okay, Matt, you're hallucinating part. But with the I felt wide awake because the sun was up. You know, rangers are solar powered. You yeah. Know, so, but yeah, no, we were out walking on patrol, doing a going up to do a leader's recon. And I was just walking on the flank, and I just saw this beautiful marble building, like, on the other side of the trees. And I had stopped, and I had, like, grabbed the squad leader. I was like, bro, come here, come here, come here. We're too close to the objective. Look, it's right over there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'm, like, whispering to this guy, and I'm pointing. I'm like, no, how do you not see this thing, man? Like, there's a huge freaking house. Like, we're either off track or, like, we are too close to OBJ. <laughs> And he's like, no, nah, man, I don't see it. And I was just pointing, and I was like, this look of concern was apparently so grotesque on my face that the RIA came over. And I remember him looking at me like I was half retarded because, you know, I was like, no, dude, this building is like right there. You're just pointing at a tree. And I'm pointing at a tree probably off in the distance. But, yeah, no, it was real. It was there, you know, in my mind. And then when we had set up on the ambush line, I could see the building. Like, I was like, oh, shit, there it is again. It's right there. Like, I told you guys, that building's right there. And my buddy's like, whatever, bro, I'm going to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) And then when my buddy went to sleep, that's when that bush turned into a leprechaun. And the little guy, he's propped up on his head with his arm, you know, just laying there staring at me, waving like, hey, Matt. Like hi leprechaun, yeah. This is weird. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's weird even now, man. I gotta tell you, that's crazy. Yeah, never saw anybody doing like the the dollar bill into the tree. You know, yeah. I think it was a coke machine thing, but yeah. I definitely saw people like wander into the woods. I wandered oh, yeah. into the woods. Like, they, it's good. I think that they train you to that point, yeah. to that level of fatigue, because weird shit happens in combat, and you never know. You would never assume like, hey, this guy is a stud. He, Maybe he's a West Pointer or he was an athlete in college or he's, you know, a superstar NCO and he's just going to wander into the woods and start eating mushrooms because they look like Nilla wafers or he's going to go and, you know, do something weird. Yep. You know, bury his rifle or I don't know. I thought the, we were walking out of Florida and I thought the CO had set up a tiki bar in the road. <laughs> and he's like, you did it, boys. You graduated. Grab a drink. You got another, you know, half a click. And then you're going to drop your kit and you're going to be Ranger School graduates in the morning or whatever we're going to do. And I'm like, fuck, yeah, this guy's cool. So and I'm walking up. I'm like, I'm going to get a daiquiri. He's got little umbrellas. And uh, I'm about to grab my drink from the CO. I'd seen him once when I am processed or something. And uh, somebody grabbed me, and I was walking beeline into the woods, just pitch black, <laughs> middle of the night. I'm just smiling Thank God for face. Ranger buddy. So I, I, my buddy's like, this way, dude. Where the fuck are you going? I'm like, the, bu- the bar? The bar? So I, I, dude, I love that you have the story because when I was going through uh, the Desert Survival School, 
desert survival course by the French Foreign yeah. Legion. We were doing these night movements, and, and we were limited. <laughs> we were we were limited. We were limited to like the amount of water and the yeah. amount of food and all the same thing. You know what I mean? And we were out doing this long ass night trek, and I remember walking down the road and just dehydrated and tired. Same 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 feeling. You know, yeah. it's just like a mini one. Because it was only like 14 days or something. But I okay. remember I'm like out walking in the middle of the night and I saw like a, a little table set up yeah. in my mind. Like I saw a table set up with drinks and there was a guy standing there like waving us over like, come on, bro, come get you some. Yeah. You know, and, and I remember seeing it in the distance. And as I got closer, I was like, oh, I'm going to get a drink. And then when I got there, it just disappeared. You want to talk oh. about a heartache, bro? God. That's oh, my God. Sad. Oh, dude. Yeah. It's so yeah. sad. It's so sad when you find out that stuff just isn't there. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. funny that you had like almost the same hallucination. Very, very close. Yeah, and I. It, I bet we're not the only ones. And either. it's and it's weird because I told you that was the first time I had hallucinated. No, that was the first time I had hallucinated, and I, I don't. Yeah. Even, I didn't even remember it until you told me that. That's funny. Yeah, that's really funny. French Foreign Legion. Were you just training side by side? Yeah, I got the opportunity to go go train with them. Like Did it was you just really? yeah. What? How? East Africa. Oh, so they they run the course out from over there, and wow. and they had offered us some spots, so I took one of the spots. And then the best part was afterwards, I got to go over to uh, their camp and like go drink beer and hang out with them. Cool. So yeah. this before or after Ranger School then? Before. No, oh. this is when he was with the Honor Guard. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Oosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Running around with my musket in East An- Africa. Another <laughs> another conversation I didn't know it was possible for me to have. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I was in the honor guard. I uh, trained with the French Foreign Legion. That's the weird thing about the military is that the stuff that happens. Like right. You, and I think it's so funny when you get the keyboard warriors and they're like, SF does this and Rangers do that and conventional does that. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes you got a guy who's conventional and he's been to every school under the sun and he's been on these cool missions that you'd never expect him to be on. And sometimes you get a soft guy that's never done anything. Right. You know? They exist. The TTPs that your uncle told you about, those don't exist anymore. No. And that might have been just for his team. Dude, and even the stuff I was doing in group like two, three years ago. Yeah. A lot of it's probably phased out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's the other thing about the soft. You know, like if you're not... If you're not staying plugged in, you're obsolete in six months. Oh, yeah. Operationally speaking, you yeah. can be obsolete in the snap of a finger. Yeah. Because it's cutting edge. You know, you can't stay Every, everything's cutting edge changing. when you're out here in the When you're not world. doing, when you're drinking coffee and yeah. sitting at podcasts. When you're, just being, <laughs> a, when you're just being a regular jerk off like me. Well, I mean, here you had a guy from a unit that dressed up in, you know, 1700 uniforms that's going over to East Africa, training with yeah. the French Foreign Legion and getting a desert survival course opportunity. Right. What Which, was that? that? I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like. They just beat the living egg. It sucks. Like you, you basically just <laughs> lay in the sun and starve. You know, like you learn how to take care of yourself yeah. in a desert. So like, I've, you know, at one point we had taken a camel and learned like how to actually get water from a camel. Wow. And uh, it's actually really interesting. What you do is you like, if you've ever gutted an animal before, most people slid it like right up the middle. Yeah. But as you're doing that, instead of going right up the middle, go a little bit higher and, and kind of make it out. And then you push the guts back in and you pull the stomach lining out and all the water starts to gather right wow. there, the drinkable water. And you just end up like cupping it up. Yeah. Out of the gut yeah. yeah. Some camel soup. Yeah, and it sense. tastes like shit. <laughs> really? Yeah. I was thinking you were going to say, oh, my God, I mean, it was heavenly at that moment. No, now, did that did that course help you out at all in your career? Did you get the third ID and people were, like, impressed? Or? You know what I learned going through that course is that if you're in the desert, you're probably going to die. 
that that is what I took out of it. Yeah. And, okay. and no, nobody gave two shits. So there was no, there was no whole lot of it. And I don't even think it came up in conversation until somebody yeah. saw me in my class A's and I'm like, bro, what's that? <laughs> oh, you get a, oh, yeah, I was I was gonna, say, yeah, you get a badge something? for it. Yeah. No, 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 get out. Yeah. I'll pull up a picture later, is like it, after we're done and I'll show you the badge. Is it like a French it? foreign legion kind of thing? It, it's weird. Yeah. It's a, it's a cool little pen. I'll it's show a, you. Is it a camel? What's on it? Uh, <laughs> it's like a knife and a scorpion and some That's other. Yeah, sweet. they're all scorpions. Like, like, yeah, you gotta hold in a camel. Yeah, that makes scorpion. sense. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, if it looked like the camel cigarettes camel, that would have you know probably not done it. That's know. kind. Of, I think that's kind of what I was thinking. I mean, it's French. You know, you get a camel and a cigarette. <laughs> What's funny is, like, some of the outfits some of these guys wore afterwards. Yeah. Like, I don't really remember them, but they were, like, traditional, like... Oh, I've seen the French foreign Like, the white uniform. They wore some weird stuff. That, that hat. They wore some weird stuff. And what's yeah. funny is, like, talking to some of those guys, like, when I was over on the camp drinking that one night... One, they, let, they had let prostitutes from, like, Djibouti. They had let prostitutes over Sweet. onto the camp. Like to come on, and so like even if you don't want them there, and you can tell them to go away, but they won't leave you alone. Like they'll just hang off your arm, and they'll just stand there with you. Wow! And you can be like, "Girl, get away!" Like I can feel the AIDS like yeah. on you. Like <laughs> get off of me, you know. And uh, no, I was sitting there smoking a cigarette because I used to smoke back then. And yeah. I was sitting there smoking a cigarette, and this legionnaire comes up to me, and in perfect English, he's like, "Bro, bro, are those camels?" I was like, yeah. He's like, where did you get camels from? Because he used to smoke camel filters. Yeah. He's like, where'd you get those from? I was like, the American base. I was like, bro, are you American? He's like, well, kind of. He's like, what do you mean, kind of? Are you in the Legion? He's like, he's like, yeah, bro. I was like, why are you in the Foreign Legion, dude? Like, what are you thinking? I was, gonna, I was just going to say that. And I was like, what are you thinking? What'd you do? He's like, oh, I got in trouble. I was like, would you kill somebody or something? He's like, yeah, something like that. And I was like, well, now it makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah dude from wow. like LA or something that had just rolled out. And that was his yeah. option. That's what he did. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. And so I actually got to talk to him, and it's funny because I had one of the the guys that follows me on Instagram hit me up. He's like, yeah, I was thinking about joining the Legion. I was like, do you speak French? And he goes, no. I was like, don't do it. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like, why? I didn't know this until I had, like, this this drinking beer because then I, like, gave him a pack of cigarettes, and I was like, now I want to hear your tales, bro. Yeah, like, yeah. you tell me your tales, you know? And uh, when he had got there, he said they just beat the living hell out of him because he couldn't speak French. Wow. And so until he could understand what they were saying – they would just beat him and PT him until he could understand what was being wow. taught. And so that's how he got taught French. And he said that he's like, dude, we get the shittiest weapons. We get the shittiest equipment. Our parachutes, I swear to God, have holes in them. He's really? like, it just sucks. Totally and, different than what you would, I guess. And they, they get, well, none of them are truly French citizens until they, yeah. they get done doing their time. That's like part of the deal. And uh, I had talked to one old timer that had been in the Legion for like ever. And he said that he had jumped into Rwanda. What the fuck? Yeah. And that that was their mission was just to fight their way out of Rwanda. Rwanda. Like they had given them a rally point. No way. Yes. they had. So they had jumped into Rwanda and they yeah. had just fought their way out and they just had to make it to their rally point. That was their job. Like we're going to drop you here yeah. and just make your way over to here. And whatever you encounter in between, just kill it and hopefully you come out alive. Survival games like in the real. Yeah. I mean, wow. I mean. Those dudes are hardcore. Yes. And with shit weapons and shit equipment and like. Nobody cares about you because you're not. <laughs> they don't care. Wow. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Like we give, like I know military wise, like we always give the French a bunch of shit. Yeah. But I'm telling you right now, those dudes, they're tough. Like those guys are tough. Yeah. Well, they I have to be. I had already like long time ago had, you know, studied up or read some stuff about them, but I didn't know enough about how you got into it and, and all of that. Um, but I thought that we, you know, in the military might at that time period, when I had looked at it, I was really young, but it was more of like, 
what was the training that we adapted from them, you know, that we were probably using or may have been using or something of that nature. But I was really fascinated by the type of training they did. I mean, like, it seemed like the whole purpose was to abuse their body and put them in very um, difficult situations, either by body or mind, Mm -hmm. as much as they could. And that just seemed like that's all they did. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the one takeaway that I, I looked at was like, holy cow, man, this is like, I mean, a life three years, four years of just constantly being in a ranger school or being, you know, in a selection or something of that nature. Crazy. Yeah. But there's people that do it for like a career, like 20 yeah, years. Yeah, bro. Yeah. This guy, he was like an old timer and he wasn't even, uh, he wasn't, he was like from South America. Really? Yeah. That's what's so odd is that a majority of them, well, I wouldn't say the majority, but there's a good bit of them that come from all over the world. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of Spanish speakers. I, I ran into maybe it was just like that unit in particular, but there's a lot of Spanish speakers in that unit. That is a lot of them. Weird. Yeah. Hmm. What's we well, need to do a podcast? <laughs> Go to Rwanda, <laughs> Egypt, man. I don't know. Those Jump guys, into Rwanda and fun. see if we can get our way out. If and, you're in the Foreign Legion and you're listening to this, we want to talk to you. Yeah. Right. Because those guys are cool. I have questions. Yeah, I have so many too. Yeah. Yeah. That's those guys are cool. awesome. You got to meet those guys. So yeah. the only time frame that you really got a chance to talk to this guy was during the, the smoke break. Yeah, smoke break with a yeah. Jibushin prostitute hanging Jib- off my arm. Jib- so <laughs> wanted to get rid of. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say you were smoking camel non filters. Oh no, those that's too hardcore. I'm not, <laughs> uh, I never had a leather I, jacket. I can't do that. There were years ago, <laughs> years ago. I smoked as well, and and somebody it was basic training actually, and somebody gave me one of those things, and because you know I was just hardcore for a cigarette. It was like, oh my god, man, we you know we need one. We're getting a break. And this guy was like, here, you have one. I'm like, oh, is that a non-filter camel? And he was like, yeah. I must have been high for like the next five hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> that thing, it was like, dang, man, that thing has a lot of nicotine, you know, yeah. that you're putting well, in it. That's I a serious it. cigarette. Yeah, really and I used to, that's what I used to smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Was long, it really? Long, long time ago. Yeah. 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 I, I guess if you smoked them a lot, I mean, that, that, nope. I remember my uncle smoked like Paul Malls or whatever. Yeah. And they're like this non filters. They were like oh, the yeah. same. Those are rough. That's what I used yeah. to, I, I used to them. steal those. Yeah. Did you really? <laughs> <laughs> So, so was it around this time frame that you ended up going um, back to Third ID and and then maybe going into Special Forces, or what was yeah. it that 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 caused you to do that? Um, you obviously met guys from group and stuff that were there at Washington attending their buddy's funeral, and um, maybe at that time frame that was your first exposure, you know, to Special Forces. But what was it that while you were at Third ID that said, "Hey, listen, I, it's time for me to go and do something different"? Yeah, so that would be. Uh, I I love referring to this mission because it just makes me laugh my ass off um, because of how retarded it is. But we did an operation in Iraq called Operation Mousetrap, where we had um, these snipers that were just taking dudes out in the unit left and right, and it had basically halted the entire battalion. And they were like, "All right, so uh, the battalion came up with a plan to use my squad." Is sniper bait. Sweet. I, right? Doesn't that sound like something you would like to do? And so yeah. I get off patrol, like I come back from patrol at night, and my LT, the one that I was telling you about that I actually like, yeah. you know, that I was playing the poop jokes with, he <laughs> he walks up to me and he's like, hey, Matt. I was like, what's up, sir? He's like, I got good news and I got bad news. I'm like, all right, tell me the good news. He's like, good news is we got tomorrow off. We don't have patrol. And I was like, well, that 
doesn't sound right at all. <laughs> Why do we have tomorrow off? And he's like, well, it's not really going to be an off day. We've got an operation coming up the day after that. And so we've got to do rehearsals in the afternoon. You know, we've got to get things together. And I'm like, all right, well, explain to me what this operation is. And he's like, what we're going to do is we're going to drive through these bad neighborhoods in an attempt to draw these guys out. It's like, okay. And he's like, after we get done going through these bad neighborhoods, then we're going to go into this big open area where we had just gotten a tick like a couple of weeks yeah. before. He's like, we're going to go in this big open area behind that. We're going to circle the wagons. We're going to take the Humvees, circle the wagons. Gunner's going to drop in the turrets. I'm like, all right, I already don't like this. He's like, and then you're going to dismount. You're going to take your squad. You're going to dismount. And you're going to go set up a, uh, like, Prick 17, something yeah. like that, and put up the long antenna, and you're just going to sit out there. And then when you get shot at, he's like, when you get shot at, then we're going to cordon off the area. You know, like, we get another platoon that's going to be with the yeah. Iraqi ESU unit. They're going to go, they're going to cordon off the area, and then we're just going to do a systematic search and clear until we kill these snipers. I'm like, what if I get shot? Like you said, get shot at, but these guys haven't missed yet. Really? I mean, like, <laughs> like, I don't like that idea at all. I was like, this is a, this has got to be a fucking joke. Like you are yeah. like, that can't be real. Like that sounds so idiotic to me. Like that's fucking stupid. Yeah. Like I am not doing that. And he's like, no, it's a real thing, man. And I was like, whose stupid ass idea was this? And he's like, oh, it's a CEO. You're gonna have to go talk to him. So I went up to the company CP and like just bust through the door, dude. It's like midnight, one o'clock. Yeah. And the first sergeant's still sitting in there. And he sees me storm in and go look like straight at the CO's desk and he's not in there. And he's like, Sergeant Tardio, can I help you? I was like, Yeah. The freaking commander, where is he? And he's like, Hold up, Sergeant. <laughs> I was like, I was like, No, this is bullshit. And I started going off yeah. with the first sergeant. He's like, dude, let's go outside and smoke. So I went outside and I was smoking a cigarette with him and I was like, dude, here's my issue with you guys, right? Like you're going to send me to do some idiotic BS and the commander, to my knowledge, is going to be sitting in an up armored Humvee while we're out there getting our asses shot off. He doesn't even have the balls to go out there and walk with us and, and do this retarded ass shit. And you want my guys to set up a long antenna and sit in an open field on a sniper that hasn't missed yet yeah, and just take one for the team. And you want me to go explain that to my guys and you want me to lead them into that. Like how the... Like, how do I even look at them in the face and tell them that's what we're doing? Like, that's just so idiotic. It's not even funny. And the first sergeant just kind of paused, like, took a puff of a cigarette. And he's like, yeah, I see the problem there. You know, he's like, <laughs> he's like, and he, he's like, fuck it, dude, I'll go with you. He's like, I'm going to go with you guys. But we're definitely not sitting in the open. And I was like, it's funny how when you're on that yeah. side of the yeah, all of a sudden we're not sitting in the open, right? <laughs> and so he's like, we'll dive through the Mahalos and we'll, we'll just go back and we'll act like we're going out doing like a, I think it was called a sweat assessment at the time, like sewer, water, electricity, and okay. transportation, whatever. So we're going to go do like a sweat assessment. That's what our front's going to be for this. And then when if we get shot at back there, then we'll call him. I was like, all right. So uh, we stayed on our schedule, but uh, as far as the patrol goes, like we went off on time, we went through everything, yeah. we we had our we our hit times, everything was everything was on point. But uh, of course, the Iraqi army wasn't ready to go, and they were our main force for quarter of the area. Yeah, what do you know? The Iraqis, the Iraqis weren't were ready late. to go on time. Mm. Yeah, ooh, what Man. do you know? <laughs> and uh, unprecedented. <laughs> so long story short, we end up getting shot at, and the and this round just cranks off right past us when we're back in an alleyway. That's fine. We all get down, take a knee, and the first sergeant's like, "Hey, sir, we just got you know, we took a round. It came from over here. Go ahead, you know, call in the cordon." And he's like, "Well, the cordon's not ready to go yet." We're like, well, don't you think that would have been good information to pass off, you know? And so uh, the first sergeant's like, all right, well, then come over here, pick us up. Like, we're ready to go. You know, like, if yeah. I'm not going to sit here and try to duke it out with a sniper with an infantry squad, if you could just come pick us up, we could we can just pop smoke and get out of here. And he's like, no, you're staying out there till they're ready. And my first sergeant stopped, and he kind of looked at me, and he keys up the mic, and he's like, 
all right, then we're going to pop smoke and we're going to come to, if you're not going to pick us up, we're going to pop smoke and we're going to come to you because this is freaking asinine. Yeah. And the commander's like, no, negative. You will stay out there and blah, 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 blah. And the first sergeant just lets go of the mic and he looks at me and he's just like, what the fuck? And I was like, you see, now, mm. now you understand <laughs> like why I'm so pissed off. Yeah. Like this is the constant crap that you deal with when you're in the infantry. And he's like, what do we do? And I was like, well, I got a place around the corner. Let's just go kick in the door and strong point it. Like he said, yeah. we got to stay out here, but he's not dictating how we stay out here. Let's go strong point this house. And so we strong point this house for probably about an hour and a half. And as we're sitting in there, I remember watching Iraq units rolling into town that should have been there like three hours ago setting up. And then they finally came out. But the messed up part that I absolutely hate and love about this entire story, the messed up part about this thing is when the cordon was actually set in place, one of the drivers was looking at the top 10 HVI list. And he looks down at the street. He's like, that dude looks familiar. And he's like, oh, shit, that's like number two. No shit. Jumps out, takes a guy at like gunpoint. No so what goes shit. up? What goes up in the AAR? Oh, it was a successful op, man. We cut the number two HBI by doing this. So how many more times do you think we did that yeah. mission, right? Oh my god! And so that was one of those things that was like very eye-opening to me, where you know, like you you actually discover that you're kind of just a pawn. And um, so after that rotation, you know, I got back, did Ranger School and everything, and then uh, the next rotation overseas I did was to Afghanistan, and my sniper section did an uplift job for uh, SEAL Team and ODA guys. And didn't really care too much working with the squeals, but when I worked with the team guys, I was like, you know, when I was working with the team guys, I was like, I like this, you know, like I kind of like where the head's at, like where they're going. This is what I'm going to do. You know, this is where I'm going to be at. And that was a, that was a really rough trip for us. Um, and I actually wanted to get out afterwards. And I actually, at the tail end of that deployment, I haven't got into, like, I haven't got into this part before. At the tail end of that deployment, I actually had a failed suicide attempt that nobody knew about. Nobody. I had a, I actually had a, a misfire. No shit. No shit. I was sitting in Bagram, like right across the street. Um, they had a, uh, uh, like transient area kind of set mm-hmm. up ac- yeah. across. And, uh, I don't think we can get into talking about any of that, but yeah, I was sitting in Bagram yeah. and I was over by the airfield and I was just like, I fucking like everything that had gone on, you know, I was just, I, I was just sitting out back one night and I couldn't tell you what it was that got to me, man. But, uh, yeah, I had a, I had a, Misfire in the middle of the night. Sitting wow. outside, I was sitting on a little T-wall, staring at the airfield. And I was like, fuck this, dude. I got to get out. I was like, this is not, I don't know what's going on, but it's not right. Like, I got to get the fuck out. I can't do this anymore. I got back to the FOB, like uh, the main FOB where my unit was at. And I got on the phone and I called home to my, my wife at the time. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, I can't. I got to get out. I was like, yeah, I don't think you understand yeah. where I'm at right now mentally. Like, yeah. my hair was falling. Like, no shit. Like, I hadn't taken a shower in months. And I got back and I'd taken a shower and every single time I'd go and take a shower, like I was getting handfuls of hair, like my hair was just falling out. Like mm-hmm. I was so stressed out. Yeah. I couldn't sleep. Um, I got back on the base and then, uh, you know, I was one of the first people to pull out on that, on that one. And then, uh, you know, one of my buddies got blown up or two of my buddies got blown up on the, like, uh, like literally the day I got back to the base and I'm just like, fuck dude, I gotta get out. I gotta get out. I gotta get out. And, uh, she was like, well, you got to think about it. We got kids, we got family, we got bills to pay. We got this and that. I was like, you're not listening to me. I want to get the fuck out. Yeah. And she convinced me to basically to stay in over that phone conversation. And I'm like in tears on the other side of the phone. She doesn't even know it. And, uh, I was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it my way. I was like, yeah. I'm going to go to selection. So fuck you. And I was like, you're either in or you're out. Pick one. Yeah. And she's like, all right, well, if you're going to stay in and that's what you want to do, do it. So I did it. So I got back. I spent like maybe two months training up. Like as soon as I yeah. hit, as soon as I hit stateside, um, I went into the SF recruiter office and I was like, here's my information. I want to go. He's like, you want to yeah. train up? And I was like, no, send me dude. I've been in the infantry for like eight years now. Just 
Yeah. I'll ride this train, bro. Like, send me. So I went, passed, and that's what I did. That's fucking badass. That's weird, right? And did your, did your mentality change? Did that feeling yeah. of, like, you know, hopelessness or whatever that feeling is where you're just so you're you done would, and you're powerless and you got to get the fuck out of there No, whatever means so it's, it's funny. Like, you would think graduating from the Q course, right? Like, you mm-hmm. would think that would be, like, a really big accomplishment in somebody's life. But I remember even, like, the day I graduated from the Q, I was just, like, I didn't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was just like, man, it's whatever. Off to group. But yeah, you yeah. thought you thought that by going to SFAS and Q that you were going to and joining group, you were gonna you're gonna break the cycle of what you're currently in and you thought it might be better on the other side. Yeah. But you had just served with an ODA, so you knew what you were getting yourself back into. Right. But somehow you thought that that was going to It's better than having somebody tell me to be sniper bait. <laughs> you know, like at least at least when I was with the yeah. team at least when I was with the team, you know, um, you know, we had set up and uh, we were on Pactica and we had set up on like this tiny little patrol base and both the roads were blown up mm-hmm. on the way and like completely blown out. And there was just IEDs everywhere. Uh, they had surface to air missiles like Taliban had SAMs out there. Yep. Uh, thank you, Hillary Clinton. And, uh, and, I, and I don't mean that as a joke, like that's actually documented. That's yep. where those particular SAMs came from. Serial numbers track back. So thanks, Hillary. We really appreciate that. And uh, we couldn't get resupplied by air. We couldn't drive out by ground. Um, we were literally surrounded by Taliban getting in ticks on a daily basis. Um, and at least in that fight, we had a say, like I could go to the team sergeant and be like, look, if we sit here and we continue to build base, we're going to get our asses handed to us and we're going to end up dying. I want to go out and I want to start setting up ambushes. I want to start doing recce patrols on these villages. I want to go and start doing this shit. And we'd sit there and we'd discuss, it was me, the Bravo and the the team sergeant. We would discuss and, and, and argue about what we need to be doing. And I linked up with the Bravo, and we became pretty good buddies. And he agreed with me, so we just beat up the team sergeant until he agreed to let us go out and whoop some ass. Yeah. And we'd do that, and we pushed him back, and we started pushing him back, and then they'd push back. We'd kill them off, and they'd get upset. And we actually had built, like, a camaraderie on how we were going to go about attacking this within itself, yeah. like, to keep our head safe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, that, to me, was huge. That, to me, was very huge. Just that little bit of input was huge. Yeah. And... Uh, they also stuck up. They they done a good job, like sticking up for me. Like if I got my butt in hot water, they'd stick up for me. And yeah, I mean, I I felt like pulled in, and I was like, this is the life that I want to live. I don't want to live yeah. this life where I've got to convince my first sergeant, you know, that uh, the CEO's crazy. The CEO's yeah. lost his name. <laughs> <mind. Yeah. laughs> Maybe it's not the best idea to sit you out there in the open and just get shot at by snipers and see what happens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a disconnect. I think sometimes you get leadership and they're, they're sitting in an air-conditioned room looking at a looking at an irsr screen you know watching drone feed and they're like oh we could do this this is a good idea and it's not really a, a we proposition it's a, somebody else goes and puts their ass in the sling right did you still feel like you know when you're on the teams did you still feel like you were a pawn in the game or did you feel like you'd leveled up in some ways or you had more control or yeah you know you definitely feel like you level up like there's yeah. no lying there like you definitely feel like you level up you know i went to you know, briefing deputy ambassadors and, and talking to like two stars is like an E6, E7, you know, and, and getting, getting that say in the game and everything else. I was able to shape like, um, I led major assaults against ISIS. Like I, I can, cool. I can say that that's on a, like declassified documents. So I think I can at least say that it's on some nice. of war documents and stuff. Right. Went out there and, and whipped the shit out of them and, uh, definitely felt like I had a say in that game. Um, but there's also that, political aspect that comes into play to where no matter how much input you have in it, you also have 
you know, pushback from command saying, no, you're only going to get these assets. You might need all of this or you might be requesting all this. We'll give you so much to an extent, but there's only so much that you can get to keep that low footprint. Yeah. You know, and so you still have your mission to do. Like they still tell you what you need to be doing to an extent, but your way that you attack it, you know, yeah. the way that you go about solving that problem is really where you get that input and buy. So when you went through, what group was it that you, did you ask for a particular group based on a language or something? Or how did that, how did that end up going <laughs> in your MOS? I'm curious about both. Yeah. So MOS, they gave me my MOS um, that I requested. And then uh, I actually wanted to go down to seventh group. And uh, my buddy that I ser- had served with in the Honor Guard um, had made his way over to SF prior to me. And he's like, dude, don't go to seventh. Just don't do it. He's like, those guys are a bunch of retards. Don't go to seventh. He's like, come to 10th. He's like, come to 10th. So my buddy went over and he pulled some strings and got me into 10th group. Yeah. yeah. And, but that's, and that's, that's who you, okay. Yeah. What was your MOS? I was a Charlie. Okay. Yeah. So you said that when you came out the other side, you didn't really, you, you weren't able to acknowledge your, what you just accomplished though. No. No, I, I was still torn inside. You know, like I, I, truthfully, you know, like I didn't really feel like that was something that I wanted to be doing. Like I was more or less done with it. I was, I was happy because I was able to have like, uh, how do I put this? So I had a guy that, um, one of the snipers in my section got tasked out to a different team and he had actually lost his leg on a, on a mission. And, uh, when I had gone to selection, um, and then I came back to the unit that I was in after selection. Um, I was sitting down and one of my buddies came up and he's like, Hey man, so-and-so was looking for you. I was like, shit, he's back. Like, yeah, man, he's out of the hospital. He's, he's got his little tink tink leg now. Like I'm calling yeah. him tink tink. Like, that's uh, great. <laughs> yeah. Like he's back. And I was like, well, what did he want? And he, he, and my buddy said that he actually wanted to say thank you. I was like, for what? I wasn't there. I didn't do anything for him. Well, I used to keep those snipers, like I used to keep those guys late and like just drill them and train them and drill them and train them and stuff like that. And he said that he didn't really understand why I would take them and drill them and train them all the time. And he's like that he actually felt that a lot of the stuff that I taught him had kept him alive. Wow. And so uh, going into group, I also had that same mind frame because you don't have a lot of guys with, you know, combat experience. Like at this point, like things are starting to slow down. And, um, I felt like I had that buy-in as far as making sure we weren't out there doing dumb things. And I definitely had butted heads yeah. with command a couple of times to make sure that we weren't doing things that were going to get guys killed and that we weren't taking the typical approach that we did beforehand. The uh, team that I had replaced in the ISIS fight, actually, um, I went out and did the, the leader's recon or the, uh, what, what do we call that? PDSS? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd gone out and did the PDSS on, and linked up with that team. And it took us days just to fly out there because of the amount of fire that these guys are under. Um, and finally get out there. And, uh, it was really weird talking to one of the, you know, I woke up in the morning and I brought my little like mm-hmm. constellation gifts. I've lived in the middle of nowhere before. I, I know how bad that life yeah. sucks. I know I want nicotine and coffee. Like those yeah. were the only two things I cared about. So what I bring, I bring nicotine and I bring coffee. And so, um, yeah, you know, I roll over like in this Afghan house, I wake up in the morning and I roll over and I like, they had a little table that they had set up and I'd set out like, you know, the dip and, and coffee and shit on the table yeah. and just sat there smoking some cigarettes until guys came over and we sat there and started talking. And, uh, I was talking to, I don't even know if I want to say the guy's name. Um, I was talking to one of the guys on the team and, uh, he was like, Hey man, he's like, he's like Tardio, Tardio. How do I know that name? Tardio sounds familiar. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know, bro. I don't know. Well, like another day goes by and he's like, dude, I, 
I know, I know why I know your name now. I was like, all right, well, tell me because I don't think I've ever met you. And apparently he had heard tales about me when he was going through the Q course because one of his instructors was like, yeah, this, there's this other dude, you know, like and yeah. he was talking about some of the stuff that we we're doing in Paktika. And he's like, bro, you've lived like this before. I was like, yeah, life sucks like this. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong, dude. Like, this, this is not a good place to be, bro. And he's like, dude, y'all did some badass shit down there. He's like, I heard about this. And anyway, so um, they had done a big push um, about... I don't know, two days after we left, left ground to like head back stateside, they'd done a big push. And that guy that I was talking to actually got killed during that push. And most of the team had got wiped out. Oh man. And so, um, there was like two guys left on the ground when I got back over there. And as a matter of fact, the first day we got on ground and we had pulled the team in. So I had flown out early after that, um, to go and help start taking over, taking over the place. Cause they still had, you know, guys holding the area down, but there was no team guys left. And, um, so I got out there ahead of time and I actually figured out, I don't, I don't even really care about talking about this. Um, I had actually figured out where they had uh, got shot at from and where the team had got wiped out from. And just out of sheer spite and anger, I dropped four or 500 pound bombs on that position and just yeah. fucking knocked it out. And yeah. uh, a couple guys after we had dropped the bombs on it, I was like, okay, four is a bit excessive. Let's stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's stop. But there was still part of the fighting position that was up. And so, um, I had walked away and I just did this from the, the camp that we were staying on. I had walked away and one of the infantry guys on the perimeter was like, yo, Matt, he's like, there's still two guys alive over there. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, there's still two guys alive over there. And so I ran up and I got on the spotting scope and I look over and sure as shit, um, we had caught one of their caches on fire. Like when yeah. the bombs went off, a couple of like their cachet caught fire and it was like, you could see shit popping off and the guys are, you know, yeah. flustering to put it out. And I was like, fuck those dudes. So I ran over and I jumped on a 50 cal and just smoked them. It was on yeah. a, yeah, it's like, fuck those guys. And then everybody started lighting them up and the whole place just fucking exploded. But, uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess the point of that is I at least felt like at that point in time, like all my experience and stuff was able to actually really start coming into play to mm-hmm. where I could be affecting things that would yeah. save lives down the road. You know, we didn't, the way we attacked that fight wasn't, uh, I don't want to get into tactics or anything like that, but the way that we went about pushing those guys back and actually um, killing them in droves was from going at it from an unconventional mindset, more or less. And my team didn't lose a single guy on that trip. And I'm very, very proud of that, having led like some of those major operations. And so for me, that that means more than being able to stand back and say like, you know, we killed X hundred of amount of people on this trip. Like, no, we didn't lose a guy. That's actually what really counts. You know, I'm, I'm very proud of that. The other team that was out there with us, they did. I, I lost a good friend on that trip. Um, who's an absolute fucking hero. <laughs> like, dude's an absolute stud. And uh, I went through selection with that guy, and he was just, like, a man among men, bro. Like, I can't make this guy up. Like, he had, like, hitchhiked his way out of, like, Soviet Russia, like, to get to the States. Like, yeah, in wintertime, had hitchhiked his way out in, like, Soviet Russia. And selection, this guy, like, and he had already had, like, two Purple Hearts before this, right? And he had hitchhiked his way out. Um, So at the time I had met him, like, going through selection, he had already had, like, two Purple Hearts. This guy was just a fucking stud. And uh, I liked him because him and I, you know, like we were always finishing close like PT event wise and stuff yeah. like that. But on the trek at the end of selection, on the trek at the end of selection, 
like I'm thinking I'm doing okay. You know, I'm like, I'm broke. Like I'm hurt. Like I actually, I injured my back very bad. I had a compression fracture in my spine and I'm out there doing the trek, just sucking ass. I'm like, whatever, man, it's the last event. I'm like probably like in 10th or 12th place, just kind of like rolling along with my boy. And out of nowhere, I see this, this like dude just running back towards us. I was like, what the fuck? Like, who is this stud? You know, because I'm still going in one direction. He's already coming back. And he goes running past by me. And I was like, I was like, bro, how far up? Like, yeah. He's like, ah, oh, it's only like two or three more miles down the road, bro. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I was like, you're like six miles up, four to six miles ahead of me? Like, how did you do that, man? And all he says, he screams at me, he's like, I want a fucking cigarette. And he just like keeps running. And I'm like, this guy's a fucking stud. Yeah. You know, like he's an absolute stud. And so I get back and like he's standing, like I finish and like I'm broke off. You know, like I am fucking broke. I finish and like I grab my rock and I limp my way back over there. And this dude's standing next to this like fire pit that he had just decided to light. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like let the fire pit. And he's smoking cigarettes. And I'm like, bro, where did you get? Because you're not allowed to have nicotine there. You know what I mean? And I'm like, where did you get smokes from? And he's like, well, one of the cadre members, he said, if I finish first, he would buy me a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> I was like, you're shitting me. I was like, let me get one of those, bro. <laughs> I was like, I want one. Uh, you know, like, but he was an absolute stud. And then when I got to language, my teacher was actually sick for like a week. And because he was like a fluent Russian speaker, he actually came in and taught my class. Oh, wow. That's and so cool. like, I had like one of my boys like actually like teaching and stuff. And he was just, a dude was just an absolute stud, but um, he'd got killed on an ambush. Um, they were out. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to get into it. But yeah, yeah, he had got killed on ambush, and he took out the people that had done it uh, before he he lost his life, and mm-hmm. saved saved undoubtedly a lot of people. Um, just absolute fucking stud, man. What? When did you get out to tenth uh, group? Twenty fifteen. That time frame, Mike was the CSM. Oh yeah, barely certain. Mike Pritz, ring a bell, Sergeant mm-hmm. Major Pritz. Yes. Yeah. He's actually a host of the podcast. Is he really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's out and still out in Colorado Springs. Yeah. And um, he actually is a uh, Tillman scholar and went on to teach um, history and uh, is a coach at the football team out there, one of the high schools. And uh, for a freshman, I think is what is, he's the head That's coach cool. of the freshman team. Yeah. So occasionally he's still able to come on, but most of the time he's, you know, drawing up plays, going through some kind of training sure. with them, all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, um, Joey Ivanov. Don't familiar? know that one. Okay. Um, Eric Martin. That sounds familiar. Okay. Eric used to be a, a host on the podcast. Okay. I'll probably edit some of this out. But <laughs> <clears throat> but at any rate, you know, it's one of these things, you know, I know it's group is big, but... I would have thought that you would have known Mike, you know, Mike Pritz or Major Pitts. Yeah. CSM. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny how it's like a, a small world it is. Like it's a big world, you know, like groups huge, mm-hmm. but then like, I don't know, like me, like I just, I stayed on my team and like the teams that I worked with. And other than that, I didn't venture outside because I didn't give a shit. Yeah. You know, you show up and you go in your team room and everybody's like, Hey, you know, this guy, like he's in group. Yeah. No, man, I don't fucking know that dude. Yeah. You know, like I pay attention to my team and what's going on and what's relevant. And if it's not that, if I'm not networking with you, like I don't know you because I don't care. Yeah. yeah. We did a uh, episode yesterday with Luke and he's from seventh and he was talking about the one place that he would like to go. Um, he's right now on DS duty down at Fort Benning is 10th group. 
Yeah. And because, you know, it's a hell of a lot more fun and the snow and oh yeah, uh, the whole bit. Yeah. So how was that for you? I mean, you were almost kind of getting back into, you, you know, a new nature there of being out in the Pacific Northwest, being with snow and, and the whole bit. Was it like being right back at home in a, in a sense there in I Colorado? I absolutely love Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love Colorado. Yeah. Love, love, love Colorado. It is the best, like Fort Carson is the best kept secret in all of the Army. Really? I, oh, yeah. I'm thoroughly convinced. Yeah. Thoroughly convinced. Been up and down the East Coast, all over. Yeah. Down Texas. Texas sucks. Don't ever sign up for Texas, <laughs> like anywhere in Texas. Don't go to any of those bases in Texas. But like Colorado, Carson is is a gem. It really, really is a gem. Why do you say that? Because of the location. Okay. You know, like after, you, you know, it's there's a military town around it, just like any other base, but mm-hmm. it's very small. And then the Springs is huge. Yeah. And there's plenty to do in the Springs. Like you can't go to a bar without running into a Joe down in the Springs. But like once you get outside of Colorado Springs and you start, I mean, you can go in the mountains, you can go hiking. Uh, you can go up to Pikes Peak. You can go, I mean, just off 11 Mile State Park. Like, yeah. I mean, there's just tons of crap out there, man. Just tons. And even if you don't want to do that, you want to get away, then you can go up like the Longs Peak area. You can go yeah. out, like, dude, there's just so much to do out there. There's a ton to do out there. So much to there's do. Like, if you're bored in Colorado, you're lazy. Just head west. Yeah. Up in the <laughs> do something. Yeah. Did you end up getting like Halo School or anything while you were there? No, they started that after I'd, after I had gone through yeah. um, where they did like mandatory mm-hmm. Halo. So. Yeah, they'd started that after I'd gone through. And how long did you end up staying with 10th? Uh, four years. Okay. Did you go to another group after that, or is that when you popped out? Okay. Yeah, that's when I was out. Yeah. yeah. So how many years total did you end up spending? 16. Okay. You're so close. Why did you end up not going all the way to 20? What happened? I medboarded my way out. So okay. when I got, I, I took a lot of blasts on that last trip. Yeah. I had taken a lot of blasts to the dome. And, uh, I ignored one of them. I had one that hit me like very, very hard to the point where I was like puking on the objective. Oh, and geez. we had a, uh, we had one of our blocking positions that was in contact and we knew they had mortar systems um, in place. It started firing the mortar systems and I had an objective that I needed to finish. And had I stopped and been like, hey, I just got fucked up. Like, you know, and we were pushing commandos at that point and we were so thin pushed out to where I'm by myself <laughs> pushing these commandos when that, when I got hit and I, just kind of shook it off and kept going, you know, and, and, uh, it didn't set in like right away, which was the weird part on this one. It didn't, it it hadn't set in right away. Um, it was, there was a underground fighting position that the enemy had dug out. That was this big L shape that had gone over. And I had called for one of my buddies to bring up, I had ran out of explosives and I had called one of my buddies to bring my speedball up. so I could keep bipping stuff, you know, and, uh, I had taken off my kit to go like tunnel crawling and, uh, when I had got down and got in this place is actually like where I was like, Oh fuck, I'm puking. Like, this is bad. Like, yeah. This is really bad. I'd rigged that one and blew it and then went to another one and rigged that. And it, dude, that was just a fucking fight. You know what yeah. I mean? And I had got back and that blocking position was in contact. And I was like, I am in a bad way right now. Like I am in a very bad fucking way. And, uh, you know, you could hear those guys talking on the radio. I got my commander barking in my fucking ear to get the assault element off the objective. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I got it. Like, I'm, I'm fucking busy. You know, like, yeah. please leave me alone. Like, I'm, I'm handling this as quick as fucking possible. Like, leave me the fuck alone, please, sir. Yeah. You know, and um, pulled time fuse on the last one. And I waited for it to go off because I wanted to make sure we dropped this thing so that they couldn't use it anymore. And uh, ended up walking probably about a mile and a half back to camp, like, longest trek of my life. Like, yeah. honestly, I got back and just collapsed and went down. 
Yeah. And I had slept it off all day. And next thing I remember, it was like my, my Delta, like shaking me, like waking me up. He's like, bro, it's time to go back. And we had our patrol base set up down the road. So he shook me, woke me up and I like stumble and like pack my shit up, throw it on the back of the quad and like go cruising back into our yeah. patrol base, get back there and just threw my shit down and just collapsed on the rack again. And yeah. I was out and, uh, I woke back up and I was feeling better. I was like, yeah, I'm good, man. Like yeah. I can do this, you know, like I'm good. I got headaches and shit, but yeah, I'll be all right. You know, like let's <laughs> yeah. just fucking shake it off. Did that. And I took another blast later on in that, in that trip too. And again, shake it off and just move on. Yeah. And, uh, it's just not a fucking thing. Well, you know? what, uh, what else are you going to do? You know, I mean, let's be realistic. Like, we talk about this a lot, but you're in combat, you're in a place and your buddies are counting on you. And what are they going to do? Send somebody fresh? Like that's probably not going to happen. Your yeah. guys are just going to continue on one man down. Well, and then, and you're, so, so it's sort of like once you're there, it's like, there's, it's not like a yellow. I've, I've got an element in contact. I've got an yeah. element in, in, in small arms fire and taking indirect yeah. fire. Yeah. Right. I've got a group of strung out commandos that I'm attempting to like cat wrangle. Yeah. You know, and, and I've got shit that needs done. Yeah. And all of that is in the back of your mind, like as fucked up as you are, like all that's in the back of your mind. And, and by the way, if I say I'm too fucked up to keep on and you call in a bird, now what? Now I'm putting my guys' lives at risk that are taking indirect and direct yep. fire. And everybody and, on and that everybody bird. else that's on the ground, everybody that's on the bird, everything yep. that's going on, or do I suck it up yep. and just drive on? And because right. honestly, my problems are small compared to that. Yeah. They really are. Exactly. My problems are small compared to that. Well, and that's I mean, we're kind of wargaming right now, but what do you so so you know, what do you do? Are you gonna make this situation worse? By saying, "Hey, I need to, I need dust off, I need to get out of here." Yeah, you know, are you, are you going to compound it? Is that better than the worst case scenario on the ground, which is, you know, you eating shit and dying, right? You know, and then you're not really a pressing concern. Well, they if I get down, sure, you man. Yeah, eventually. If, if I so go down, like, I go down. But yeah. if I if I don't go down, then then you don't go down. Then I don't go down. Yeah, and that's. You know, future Matt's problem. Yeah, that's you future know? Matt's problem. That's not you, current Matt's problem. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, current Matt's problem is uh, <laughs> is just walking off the X so I can get my, my positions yeah, out. Don't let my buddies die. And then yeah. you know, but and then even after that operation, though, you know, you're you get back to your your patrol base. It's like, what do what do you do? You Go know? to sleep. That's yeah. all I cared about was just, I just like, it, it wasn't even like I I was like, oh, I'm gonna lay down, and go to sleep. It was yeah. like I face planted them out. Yeah. You know, and uh, but yeah. So after we get done doing all this crap. Um, we had flown out to some Middle East mm -hmm. base to wait on a big rotator to take us back. Yeah. And I was talking to my buddy. I was like, dude, this is getting bad. Like, yeah, like yeah. I, I'd noticed the eyesight problems and stuff like yeah. that when we were going out doing some night raids. And I was like, this is fucking bad. But I keep it to myself. I'm like, fuck it, dude. Yeah. Like, you know, like nobody, nobody likes to admit that they're broke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, nobody likes to admit yeah. that they're broke. And, uh, and, uh, so yeah, we got back to, you know, I was talking to my buddy about it, like kind of like my little confidant that I had on the team. Yeah. I was talking to him. I was like, dude, I think I'm fucked up. And he's like, ah, you'd be all right, bro. He's like, yeah, <laughs> just get checked out when we go back. I mean, yeah. you're still kicking. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm still kicking. Well, we got back to that base and I started having like these, these mad, mad, crazy headaches. I was forgetting things. I was having trouble talking. And I was like, dude, I need to go check in the hospital here. He's yeah. like, bro, like the bird's going to be here in like a day. You'll be fine. Like, just wait, just wait, yeah. just wait. And so I did, I waited and then I got back to the States and, uh, just, just immediately, like I'm checking in and I'm done. I, I went home for the night. Mm -hmm. I had a girl I was dating at the time. Like I met up with her and, and hung out with the boys. And that was when I knew something was wrong too. Cause I went out and I had a beer, one beer that yeah. night. I had one drink that night and it had kicked in the worst headache I'd ever had in my life mm -hmm. off yeah. of like one, one beer. And that's not normal. 
no, that's not yeah. right. You know, <laughs> it's just like, this is something's fucking wrong, yeah. you know? And I would get lost. I was getting lost. Like I'd be driving on the road, wouldn't know where I was going. I would lose things constantly. I would yeah. walk into a room and stand still. Um, I went to a gas station one time to buy a pack of cigarettes and I had asked the guy, I was like, dude, can I get a pack of, you know, camels or whatever it was I was smoking? Yeah. And when he had answered me back, it, it actually sounded like computer jargon. Really? Yeah. It sounded like digital noise coming over and I, it had taken me for a loop. I was like, I'm sorry, what'd you say? Yeah. And he said it again and it came in. I was like, no, 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 no. one more time, one more time. And then yeah. it came in normal, but I would, I would be able to think of things, but I wouldn't be able to speak them correctly. Yeah, it and took like, you a while, like a motor skills. Yeah. yeah. It was just, it was weird. You know, like I was having all sorts of issues and, and I was just like, this is fucked up, man. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, it was, it was, and to me, that was something I look at and I'm like, all right, well, I've got, I've got kids, I've got family yeah. I want to be there for. I've got yeah. all these other yeah. things. And you're young. Yeah. And the guy was like, Hey man, you know, he's like, if you want out, we'll get you out. And I'm like, and I'm just sitting in a chair and I'm like damn near in tears because now I have somebody telling me, you know, before it was me saying, I want to get out. Yeah. And now I'm at the point where I really don't want to get out. Right. Yeah. And I'm like damn near in tears with this guy. And he just stopped me. He's like, Matt, you've done enough, dude. Like if you need to get out, like. Yeah. Tap out. He's right. Tap out. I was like, yeah. fuck it, dude. I'm out. Yeah. And that was it. I was like, I'm done. So what did they just end like up uh, diagnosing severe TBI? So they, they took the TBI thing because it was the TBI doc that I had talked to about that. And, and they had gone and I'd gone for my CAT scans, my brain scans and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So they're like, well, you didn't pass out on the objective like when you got blasted. So it wasn't a severe or a, I haven't looked in this in years. It wasn't yeah. the, the severe TBI because you right, haven't right. passed out. But there's also like the compounding injuries and everything else. And Yeah. Yeah. Lesions so, or anything? Or? Fuck, I don't know. Yeah. Did you get a SEER scan? Yeah. 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 I went in there okay. for that. So you got the like, real brain scan? Yeah. He's like, you're looking good, bro. He's like, you're, yeah. you're looking good. He's cool. Like, you'll be all right. Awesome, man. So awesome. it was just a lot of recovery. Like I'd done um, a lot of physical therapy, a lot of retraining. Okay. Like uh, relearned some motor skills. Like talking came back over time. Yeah. Um, eyesight still kind of sucks. I'm not going to lie. My eyesight still sucks. I went and I was in and out of eye doctors trying to figure out what was going on with my eyes like we were talking about. And uh, they gave me a pair of glasses, and then every time I would get a prescription, it was like my, my prescription was changing. Right. And so I just, I was like, well, fuck glasses. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is stupid. Money, yeah. Like, everything just keeps changing, you know? And, yeah, I don't know. That was that was really weird for me. Um, Do you ever hear of stoic ganglion block? Mm-hmm. SGB? Oh. oh, is that the uh, shot to the neck? Yeah. yeah. So Paul so, had it, and we've known others that had it life-changing. Uh, that's what I hear. Yeah. yeah. I, I can get you the contact info. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, and we can share or talk a little bit about it because it never hurts to to kind of bring it up and everything. But, um, well, Paul, you're probably better at qualified at doing this. But there's 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 a specific uh, physician who, I, I guess, kind of found yeah. it's been Sean, around. I guess Sean but, Mulvaney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And go, go well, ahead. he he's helped to invent the process. At least that's the way I understand it. And I'm, I haven't studied the history of it that much, but it's highly effective for people who've been in our line of work. It's really good for um, your anxiety response and your, yeah. basically like that yeah. it's fight or flight. That it's, alarm bell that's been going off in your head for the last 10 years. Yeah. Like it's, it can turn that off. It's it's know? weird. My so. buddy told me, uh, cause my buddy got it done. I, yeah. It's funny you guys bring this up cause I was just talking to him the other day and he's like, Hey man, have you, have you heard of this? And I was like, no yeah. man. And he said he's got the contact to brag to do it. He said nice. he went in and got it done, and he said it wasn't an immediate effect. But by the time he yeah. walked out of the hospital, yeah. he said it was like a night and day difference. Yeah. Well, we had um, a guest on here that's a family friend, and I've known this kid you know, for a long time frame. And Cal's been on the show a couple of times now. And 
Kyle went in and his wife's a nurse and um, she wasn't able to go in because it was coronavirus time period, you know, this past year, late uh, last year. Uh, but they went up to Maryland uh, where, you know, the doctor's at and go in his office and everything. And the doctor explains the procedure to him about what he's going to do. And he's like, do you, you want me to go ahead and go through with it? And he's like, Kyle's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead and do it. And uh, Angela's waiting outside for him. And, you know, Kyle shares his story on, on this episode that I'm talking about. But, you know, he, he's talked with us a lot, even in private, outside of just what he shared on the podcast. It was life-changing at that moment. when he, By the time he got down the elevator and got to his wife, the emotional relief, the feeling of just being, like, normal again mm-hmm. came back. Yeah, that's what I'm told. Yeah. And... It's still that way, and it's it varies based on individuals. I've heard of people who's had it five times, ten times, mm-hmm. you know, those types of things. But you know, Kyle's question to Paul was, "How long, you know, what do you think it might last?" And Paul goes, "Well, most of the time, you know, it's about a year." And he goes, "To get one year, it's worth it." Yeah, you know, and I'll, then I'll take it one more year, and you know, that type of thing. And so, yeah, and it's, it's huge. It's not one hundred percent durable, but it. It lasts a long period of time, and and if I feel I need it again, I'll go back and get it. I mean, it's hard. It's on the list. Yeah, you know, just like getting your teeth cleaned and everything else. Like it's just something I'm gonna do, and it's not gonna solve your problems. Oh, so you know? it's but it's a step. You know, it's just like physical therapy. Yeah, you know, like it doesn't erase an injury necessarily, but it's it definitely it can helps. help. You know, yeah. it's one less thing that you gotta worry about. It's it's funny because like, you know, like I've like after I had that uh, suicide attempt, my buddy like took me back on camp, and he's and I had I had got back and. And he had saw me sitting around one day and I guess I had just had that look on my face of just being not all there Yeah. and uh, sitting outside smoking and he walked up. He was like, Matt, are you thinking about killing yourself? I was like, not only am I thinking about it, but I definitely tried. <laughs> Holy cow. And he like, wow. he was like. The fact that he recognized that. Yeah. And he, yeah, man, probably saved my life. You know, yeah. and he had, he had grabbed me. He's like, come on, man, we're going to go talk. And so he had brought me in, um, to the, uh, the therapy office that was over there and it to me it was weird because i had felt like that particular therapist like had no idea what the fuck he was dealing with and i had felt more or less like a test tube subject to where you know he's just like all right i've got this new i've got this toy i want to play with it like how do i play with it you know and he's just like poking and prodding and trying to find different ways to go about doing things and uh i had gone through like numerous like i had stayed in like the entire time i had stayed in like therapy and like tried to go through like different routes and and different things and and uh just kind of like stayed after it until i'd found one that i actually liked yeah and uh that guy was huge he was like a huge game changer for me and uh you know like you always think there's something wrong with you Mm -hmm. you know and you and, and then once you start reading and doing more studying and you start like actually getting to people like your the relationship with your therapist is like almost like a marriage. Like you mm-hmm. actually got to be able to get along and you got to be able to have yeah. the right, the right things in that. And so I think two of the biggest things I learned, um, going through it was the, uh, suicidal aspect of it. Right. Like, uh, the way he explained it to me, which was just eye opening to me where I was like, Holy shit. Like now that makes sense. Like there's not something wrong with me. That's just, I think the way he explained it, he's like, Matt, if you want to go to Walmart right now or you want to go to the PX, he's like, how many different routes do you know to get to the PX? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I know like three or four different ways to get there. And he's like, now what's the most effective route to get there? He's like, yeah. probably like your straight line distance or whatever. And your brain comes up with different ideas and different thoughts on how to accomplish each objective that like you come up with. And when you're going through a lot of pain and you're going through a lot of struggles or, you know, you feel disconnected from your family, you feel disconnected from your life, that's one of the options that your brain comes up with and it's a perfectly natural human response that like comes up with 
whether or not you act on that response, you know, and then how you treat it is, is really where those things come from. And so your brain's actually coming up with these different options and it'll, it'll pop up in people's heads and they'll think that there's something wrong with them. And really that's not your brain's just presenting to you these different options that are coming out. Yeah. That was one of the eye opening things for me that, that really made me go, Oh no shit. Yeah. That kind of makes sense. You know, makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. That was one of the eye opening things for me. And then the other thing that really made sense to me was if you look at, um, human beings like going about their daily lives and you look at their, their threat levels assessments, you know, like the threat assessment levels mm-hmm. where they're at they right. they normally operate in some little norm, you know, like your, your soccer mom going to a grocery store, right. she might get weirded out if, you know, somebody follows her, comes up and her, her goes up a little bit and mm-hmm. then it goes back down to the norm and, yeah. and they, you know, most humans tend to stay in this, this one little spot and they, they go to the upper end of it and a lower end, but they stay in this healthy area. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you start looking at combat and the different things you go to, you know, you have now this new heightened level of yeah. response. And so you go outside of that norm up to now you're in this like, no shit, I might die. Right. By taking every step. Like I'd lived in a patrol base one time where we had, where we had months after living there, you know, and this, and it's not like it's something It actually happened numerous times yeah. to where we had been living in a place and we had found either IEDs or mines within our own compounds oh, after we had yeah. already cleared them and I had already taken ones out, Yeah, you know? And so it's, it's not just like you, you're able to go back and relax. Like you're in this constant state of right. not to mention you're getting shot at every day, you know? And so you're operating at this constant level. And so the nice thing is like going um, from the police side of the house to the military side of the house. Right. And you can see like uh, if you do like studies on police officers, like they go through a similar cycle, but they do it on a daily basis and they have their safe place, which is in the house. They're on the street and they go outside of that normal level and they go to an upper level. And then when they get home, they crash and they go instead of going back into that normal thing where they can communicate and stuff, it's their time to download. And so they end up going from that normal all the way down to the sub and their families interpret that as, you know, he's ignoring me or she's ignoring me. They don't want to talk to me. They're withdrawing. But what they're really doing is just toning out and their body's resetting. Yeah. Right. And they do this on a daily basis. It's the cycle that cops go through. And when you look at it from a military aspect, we go through the same thing, only it's a much longer cycle. We're operating at that level, a much higher time. And even when we get our downtime, we're really not because in the back of minds, we're preparing for things. And so when we get home and we crash, you know, families always want to come up and they want to hug and kiss you and they want to be excited and they want to talk to you. And all you really want to do when you get home, and the, at least this is what I found when I was married, was I just want to be left the hell alone. Mm-hmm. I just want to, like, sit down and, and chill. that's it. Right? Yeah. Like, I just need to chill. I need to check out. I need to, you know, do something. And, and you can talk to me. I'm not going to listen to what you're saying. You know, but that's not something that's wrong with you. That's yeah. a... That's a, a a subconscious response. Do you still need that? Like on a regular basis? Absolutely. Like you just, you're like, cause that, it's funny how you were talking about it and I kind of thought about it. Like I need a lot of downtime and alone time. And right. it's just, uh, it's draining. Like when I'm, when we're done here, when I come down and I, I do these podcasts with Rob and I stay at the house, it's awesome. And I love you and Vicky, you guys are awesome. But then when I'm done, like, and you might have noticed after a whole day of podcasting, like, I'm just going to sit in my room and oh, I'm, with I'm, the door closed. I'm, I'm kind of my, the same way. You, I need my it's, time alone. It's exhausting, yeah. I can, and I can explain this, right? Yeah. And I can explain this. This is one of the things I like to talk about, right? Yeah. I can explain this. So the reason why guys like us like to get together and tell war stories and sit down and talk is it triggers an emotional response in our brain. It actually takes us back just a little bit, not not to the extent where, where we were operating at, but it takes us back just a little bit to that, and it triggers... Uh, a chemical response like in your an endorphin right and it releases it and it oh, brings wow. you back up to that heightened state right when you when you start talking about these things it brings you back up to that heightened state and then when you get done remember what i said it's a cycle when you go mm-hmm. end up going back down then that you're crash. gonna crash hard yeah and so it's not something that like you're necessarily doing wrong it's just your body's natural response to it 
And a lot of family members don't understand that aspect to where that extra space that we need when we do those things. Yeah. And and they interpret that differently. And that's why you're starting to see some of these, in my opinion anyways, that's where you start seeing some of these marriages come apart, right? And then once these marriages start to fall apart, you know, we look at it like we did something wrong. The family members think that they did something wrong. And there's this irreconcilable difference that ends up like building in between the two because they think they did something wrong. We think there's something wrong with us when in reality, neither of us has done anything wrong whatsoever. We're just going through our basic life cycle, right? And then all of a sudden these service members, they lose their family and they're like, oh my God, I've lost, now I've lost my family and I'm completely fucked up. Yeah. And so how do we go about fixing that? We dive deeper into work. Yeah. Right. The things that's most comfortable. Right. And that's exactly what I did. I dove back deeper into work. I'm like, all right, well, now I'm divorced. I'm in group. I'm just going to deploy again. Fuck it. Yeah. You know, and then you go back. Easy choice to make. And it's very easy choice to make. And you go back and and you're rewarding. It's very rewarding because you're living at that high, that high cycle. And then you come back home and then you crash. And then what do you do to relieve that time? You go and you hang out with your buddies because it at least elevates you a little bit. You feel like you're doing good. You feel good about it when you're hanging out with your buddies and then you go back and you crash again. And you're going back to this regular cycle, unless you understand how that cycle actually works. Like that's probably the best explanation I think in all the podcasts that we've done. Right of that of yeah. explaining that I can totally. I mean, in for those who are not seeing this visualization, you know, of of seeing basically, you know. Um, you know, a noise channel going across and such, you know, that like you said in a chart where you see charts going up and down and you've got the normal, what they call the normal pattern that's in the middle. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you're describing here. And and again, people, people understand a lot of things like, um, yeah, euphoric, you know, that, that feeling of that high. And then people don't understand me now of how I am when I return back home and we go through the explanations but yet maybe they don't understand it in that visual graphic the way you just described that says, hey, listen, it's okay. There's going to be a moment where I'm going to come down, but I need to I'll level back up to normalcy again. Mm-hmm. You know, And hopefully that's what occurs, right. is that you find that normalcy again, but a lot of people also long for that high. Well, so, the, and here's the crazy part, right? So for police officers, for example, right, like their, their normal reset period is somewhere around 48 hours something in the neighborhood of 48 hours. So when they're on their four day work week or they're out doing what they do, they really don't get that reset period, right? Because they get home, they don't have the chance to reset because they just go to bed, wake up and do it again because of shift work. Yeah, and they've got family right. responsibilities and, right. you know, more and, than likely, and, yeah. And, and, and they do the same thing that we do. And I think there's a lot of parallels that we can look at in this neighborhood. And I think psychology needs to look at real deeply in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of parallels. When I was married in the military, I would come home and I would be like, uh, you know, I'm passing off the finances to my wife. I'm passing off the children's responsibilities and the school role responsibilities. I'm passing all that stuff off to my wife because when I get home, I just want to download. And when I'm away, she's responsible for it anyways. And so all this starts going away, right? And so they, they interpret that as like some sort of disassociation when in reality, your brain doesn't want to make any decisions. Yeah, you know, you're tired of making decisions. You're making life or death decisions on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And your brain just wants to disassociate. It wants to let go. It wants to not handle it. And so even when they bring up something stupid and they are like, no, we really want your input on this, we get annoyed by it. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but like I would get annoyed by it. I'd be like, why are you pestering me? Like this is petty crap. Yeah. Like leave me alone. And we get annoyed by it. And that drives that wedge further and further and further. Right? And then I think probably one of the biggest things that affects people like in the military is... Um, basically becoming one with their job, right? And yeah. I'll, I'll give you a prime example of this. Like when you're in Ranger Regiment yeah. and people ask you, what do you do for a living? What do you say? Yeah, I'm a Ranger. I'm a Ranger. Yeah, I am. Right? Yeah. Like, And what did I say? Like, no, I'm a Green Beret. Yeah. 
right? And, so, and that takes it's away that your identity. Yeah, we talked yeah. about this before in another episode. Yeah, right. Yeah, you, yeah. you you seriously you identify with it, and you start taking away those other things. Like if you go out and you talk to civilians about it, like, well, what do you do for work? Uh, you know, I work in this field. Right. Not I am an engineer yeah, like or a, I am this. Right. Right. You know, like no, like. I am a ranger. I am a green beret. Like, this yeah. is what I do. This is me. And so you lose all of those little things that go in the outside. Like, you know, your friends become the ones from work. Your hobbies become sharpening your hobbies for work. Everything in your life revolves around it because you've yeah. become self-autonomous with that. And when you start losing those aspects of control, right, like you identify like, no, I'm a ranger. Well, then you realize that, yeah, you're a ranger, but you're still almost like a pawn in some scheme, yeah. right? So like as much as you 100%. want, as much as you want control over your own world and yeah. then something happens that makes you realize like you end up being sniper bait or, you know, like any of these other things and those happen and you realize like, well, I am like one with this element. I don't have control over this element whatsoever. Yeah. And that's like us as men, like that is a very, very hard pill to swallow, you know, that we don't have control over our own destiny, our own self, something that we've just self-identified with as our profession. And then, geez, add on top of that, like now you're getting med boarded or you get out or you, you step on your crank because, because you don't understand what's going on in your life because your wife left you because you've disassociated with her because neither of you understand how this cycle works. You know, and then, you know, you, you go out and the military is very hard on drinking. A lot of guys cope yeah. with drinking or we tell our war stories at the bar and we hang out. Yeah. And that's why we like to hang out with other team guys or other rangers. And, or, and it's a mark of masculinity as well. And it's, a, right. it's something you do culturally for acceptance. And it's encouraged in the mm-hmm. military that you should drink. Mm-hmm. Don't get in trouble for it. But, but drink like a man. Right. But don't drink to excess. Right. <laughs> but drink a lot because you're a badass. Right. But don't get so drunk that it becomes a problem. Right. You know I mean, so, and so it's like you're, it's a, it's, you're living this contradiction and you, you've lived you know, the contradiction and, and a lot of guys, a lot of guys step on the cranks in the military yeah. doing yeah. that and then they get kicked out. Yeah. So not only do they have this like massive cycle problem, yeah. right. That they're yeah. going through, but now they have an alcohol problem yeah. and then they get in trouble for the alcohol problem and then they lose what they self identify as. And now yeah. they're lost. Yeah. You know, and, and people are wondering like, why are we seeing these high rates of like veteran suicide that's going on right now? You know, even, um, I, I, I don't even want to, you know, I had a buddy commit suicide like two weeks ago to the day, like as we're sitting here two weeks ago to the day and awesome role mentor for me. He was at the tail end of his career. Yeah. He was, he, he's coming up and getting out. He was having marital issues, you know, like it, it wasn't a secret. He was having marital issues and, but nobody saw it coming. And, and we wonder why like these things are happening. The military yeah. is like very good for pre- preparing you for like battle. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they are absolute shit at preparing your family or you for what's taking on afterwards. And it's almost on us to start, start that role. Like it's okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. like even if you're in the military, just to do like you do PMCS on vehicles, you know, before you take them out, you want to make sure yeah. your vehicle works, but we're not PMCSing ourselves. I'm, yeah. I'm a big, big fan of that line of thinking. Right. If you go to the range in your workout before you go to deployment and you shoot your rifle and it works flawlessly, you still take it to the armorer before you take that weapon overseas. Right. And if you come back and it worked flawlessly the whole time you were overseas, right. you still turn it into the armor so somebody will look at it so that you don't have a major malfunction when you need it the most. And a rifle is a relatively simple piece of equipment right? compared to the human mind and the human body. And we're exposed to things that we don't even, we don't even really understand everything that's happening in, in your mind when you're exposed to TBI. And we're, we're just now really starting to understand the, the real effects of PTSD, PTSD, whatever you want to call it. And that's, you know, not to let anybody off the hook, but the Army doesn't know either. 
No. And, and that's, I mean, they don't really understand that, like the, how valuable decompression is and how much money, because let's, let's be real. You have to be pragmatic, right? The, the army, the military, they're for fighting wars, yeah. winning, and they have a budget to do it on. Right. And you can say what you want about that budget, but there is a bottom line. And it may seem like, okay, well, why would we give a ranger, SF guy, a platoon sergeant, or even a private, why, why would we give them two weeks off, three weeks off, four weeks off after a very stressful event or after a long deployment? That's money lost. Well, not if that private or that soldier or that service member is going to get a DUI because they need it to blow off some steam and they've got pressure built up and not if they're going to kill themselves and not right. if they're going to do something bad and their family falls apart and then they leave because now they're right. Their situation has changed and they can't continue service. All that training's lost. Time's lost. And so financially, you it, know, and here's one of the crazy things. I just got this from a psychologist at the VA like th three weeks ago, mm -hmm. right? As I was talking to him, they had put me on like a, a, a separate program and I go into the, and it's, it's like the military is very bad about it. And the VA is very bad about it to where if I go and I tell my tale to you, yeah, that should be it. It should be documented. Like this is everything. These yeah. are all the questions I answered. This is where I'm at in life. And these are all the things I've been through, but it's not like that in the military. Every time you get switched to a new department or you go to a new doctor, they have all these check to block questions that I have to go, go through. And I finally, I lost my shit with this doc. And I was like, look, bro, like I hate for being short with you, you know, but I don't know how many times I've rehashed all of this yeah. shit and it's getting a little fucking old. Yeah. And he, he, he tried nailing everything down to like one specific event for like a trigger. Yeah. And I'm like, why is it you guys do that? Like, let me ask yeah. you a question. Like, why is it you guys are doing that? Yeah. Like what fucking sense does that make? You know, like I, I, I've, I've ran out of like fingers and toes for how many buddies that have been like killed overseas or have committed suicide back home. Yeah. I can't give you a specific Same. event. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people I've seen like blown to bits. How many, like I've cut arms off dudes. Well, you know what I mean? Like I've, I've done some wild shit in my day and you want to sit here and you want to try to get me to get it all back. Why is that? Yeah. And it turns out, and he's like, look, dude, he's like, a lot of this stuff is based off like civilian psychology. Yeah. A lot of it's based off civilian psychology where you get like one person that gets in a car accident and now they're afraid to drive where they get raped and they're afraid to be, you it's know, around men yeah, or they're for love or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. It's a single event. And yeah. so all, they're all trying to nail it down to a single event. You well, didn't get in 15 car crashes in one year time frame, Right. Yeah. So where, where are these doctors, yeah. you know, that have actually like devoted it and, and done their studying to it? And why aren't they leading the charge on it? Because I know they exist. Well, there's not that many of them, you know, and, and that's the other thing is how do you get the resources to the, that's the biggest, end user? Yeah. You know, like it's easy to, it is easy to blame the system and the system's fucked up. And I agree with you. Every time I go in and they're like, I, when I registered for, um, a, I registered for a new VA hospital and I go in and they say, you have to do a post deployment health assessment. And I'm like, lady, I haven't deployed since 2012. <laughs> so one what the hell are you talking about? And I know you did one when you got back that year. Yeah. I did. I'm pretty I, sure I did one when yeah, I got back exactly. that year. I'm like, well, what, why don't you have that document? And they say, they just call it that, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's boilerplate. I'm like, okay. So I get the thing. And one of the questions on your intake is how many people you lost in your unit. And I just wrote, fuck you. Yeah. Look it up. Like, yeah. Are, are you kidding me? How many people get that piece of paper and then they turn around and they walk out of that office yeah. and they never come back and they don't receive care and they're just like, you know what, I'm going to gut it out. And I'll, I'll tell you one of the other questions that absolutely pisses me off that I've been asked like numerous times, like over the years, like I'd, I'd come back from rotation and I'm like, yeah, dude, like I just need to offload. Like my fucking buddy got killed and I'm very fucking upset about this. Yeah. One of the absolute worst questions I hate being fucking asked is, well, was he a good friend? Really? Yeah. Wow. You know how many times I've been asked like whether or not wow. they were good friends? What's the difference? 
Good fucking question. Yeah. Good, good question. If anything, they're, they're closer than your family. And I've talked about yeah. this before too. Like I have, dude, I have bawled my eyes out for some dudes overseas, bawled my fucking eyes out for dudes overseas. Yeah. When I lost my mom back in October, I was just like, okay. You know, like I, yeah. like I get it. Like she lived a good life. It's a natural death. Like it's a perfectly yeah. normal thing, but there's nothing more tragic to me than like losing a buddy overseas. Well, that's supposed to happen. Unfortunately, you know, your, your relatives, especially your parents, your grandparents, they get old, they die. That's normal. What's not normal is burying 22 year olds, 23 year olds. A lot. Know? Christopher Thomas was, he had just had his 18th birthday. Youngest ranger in the regiment died in Afghanistan. Right. That's not normal. No. And that you, you start tallying these things up until you've got 15, 20, 30, 40, 100, some people, 100 friends right. like that. And they're in their 30s. They're in their 40s. And you're talking about a lifetime of loss and a lifetime of grief. And it's all condensed into a few decades. There's, it's not normal. No, it's and not. Your reaction should not be normal. And it's really, really frustrating that every time you go and see somebody in a new department at the VA, and this happens in the hospital too, they give you their PCL5 checklist and they've got their little how many people died in your unit checklist. And it's like, well, how many times are you going to make me relive this shit? Yeah. You know, or you, uh, like if you file for after the fact, you get out of the military and you file for PTSD, they have a form and they're saying, well, what was the event? Right. Well, shit, man. And this is what's really frustrating about this is like, and this is real world. This has happened. You will be diagnosed with PTSD by a grief counselor or somebody in the mental health wing of the VA. They write those four magic numbers in your record and they say, this is what you got. And hopefully they come up with some kind of treatment plan or something that they're going to help you get through this stuff. But you are entitled to your disability for that. Mm -hmm. So you go and file, and they say, well, what is it? Like, well, shit, maybe I don't know. Maybe I just walked in the office and the guy said so. Mm -hmm. Like, your doctor's diagnosis. Now, I have to come up with a reason why. Like, and I'm poking myself in the chest right now. Like, I'm a, a grunt infantryman. Right. You know, See, they're the psychologists. Why do I have to come up with it? So why it's, am it's I explaining this? It's a really frustrating process. And, you know? and on top of that, then they, then they, you know, the VA tries to tear everything off. Yeah. You know, and, and they try to tear it when truthfully, most guys are not going to tell you the whole truth. No, they're not. When they sit down and they talk, they're not going to tell you the whole, like, I'm a big fan that the VA just needs to look at it and be like, you know what? You've got PTSD. There's no way of knowing how truly jacked up in the head you are. They need to write that off. They, I'm sorry. You like when you send people to war, when you send people to war, you automatically write off how much ammunition we're going to be spending, how much money we yeah. give to the local population, nation rebuilding, all this other crap, you know, the equipment moves, the logistics, you know, we were spending like 40 bucks in Iraq at one point just for a plate, yeah. you know, is what we were paying that, that company. But yeah, they want to like nickel and dime our vets for what they're going through. Mm -hmm. Like you, you mean to tell me you can't afford a couple thousand dollars a month for a vet when you paid 40 bucks for a meal plate, you know, like, well, and the, the discretionary budget for 2020, I believe it was 96 or $98 billion for Veterans Affairs. Yeah, I saw that come out. And, and I believe for 2022, it's over 120. And I know it's over $100 billion. Right. And they need to start, so, paying, honestly, they need to start paying it out because maybe, just maybe, you know, in, in my personal opinion, like we have, we have got the Afghan military to a point where they're make or break. You know, like, what else could we do for those people? We've trained them. We've equipped them. We've done everything we can. We take them out. We still provide airs. Like, we're, we're doing all sorts of shit yeah. for the Afghan military. And they're either going to shit or get off the pot. At what point is it no longer our problem? Yeah. 
you know, like, honestly, at what point is it no longer a problem? But if, but if our government is willing to sit there and, and keep sending us over there, then you have accepted the financial responsibility of taking care of those same vets that have long six, seven, eight rotations. Yeah. 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 Like if that's, that's something that you need to factor into the budget, period, yeah. end of discussion. And, and stop putting us through this ringer. You know, we didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And we have a two decades long case study with live, live humans. Right. So we, we have the data. Yeah, we like should. Let's do something with it. Yeah, right. Like we've seen the effects, the long-term effects. When but, you talk about sixty-thousand veteran suicides since what? What was it? Two thousand six? Something it, like yeah. two thousand four. Dude, we're in, up to, in ten years. But yeah, you, guys, you guys like, just outlined this though. It may be nineteen, twenty years in the making here, yeah. going on twenty. But every time if you guys go in and, and they're doing the discussion around regurgitation of the first, you know, the, what the first guy did, and you've right. done that 20 times, right. and you do that to every veteran that goes in there, you're not really making progress. No, they're not. So, so to your question is, who the hell is out there that can actually answer some of these questions and, and get us beyond this point? Or if there is somebody out there, they're few and far between because they're still trying to get through their first 20, 50 people getting beyond the first series of questions. Let's put, I mean, I, I know I'm not the only, like I've got what, four plus years in combat, right? And I've been seeing counselors for years. I know I'm not the only one that's been doing that. Mm-hmm. So where are the people coming to guys like us? And I know I'm not the most combat experience. I know I'm not the guy that has done the most talking, but where are the people that are pulling this data and looking at it? And why aren't we aware that it's even going on if it's something that's going on? Well, you know, like... Yeah, there raises a lot of questions, you know, like when you walk into any VA, like if you move and you start a new one or you get a new provider or whatever, they give you your PCL5 checklist or whatever. And it's like, why don't you just ask me if I've filled this out before? Yeah. And what'd you do with the last one? Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's the really frustrating thing. Yeah. So, and, and the PCL5 isn't, isn't a great example because you, you should redo that one, but some of the other ones where you were There's plenty of talking about specific events. You know? Right. When I, when I had first walked into the VA, they were shocked to learn like the amount of medications that I was on and how long yeah. I'd been taking them for. For some reason, when I got out, that is just not something that transferred over. And I was like, look, man, I've been on these meds, like high doses of them yeah. for years. And if yeah. you guys don't refill my shit, like I'm going to start going through some serious withdrawals. Like there's going to be a problem. Yeah, you got to <laughs> drink that yeah. down. Yeah. Like I was yeah. popping like 300 milligrams of Zoloft overseas on my last trip oh, on geez. a daily basis. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And all of a sudden you're going cold Turkey. And now I'm going to go cold Turkey. No. On. So I'm going to the ER and they're like, all right, well, it's like a month out for your next appointment. And, uh, we can give you a 10 day limit right now. And then you gotta come back to the ER and get some yeah. more. And it's, it's just asinine. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the other thing that's frustrating is the system. It, it's our fucking system. It's our veterans affairs and it's not set up for us. They're not open on weekends. They're not open after hours. Right. We get out of the military. Even if you do 20 and retire, you're still in your peak earning years. You mm-hmm. have to go back to work. And I, I know the pension sounds great. It's not much. It's a pittance, <laughs> not a pension. Yeah. Yeah. So how the hell, and you, we know, especially in soft, the divorce rate is higher than the national average right. by three. And so I've got, to go out and work. I'm in a new career field, so it's not like I have a lot of leeway with my new employer necessarily. No. Nope. I'm probably divorced. I probably am a single parent and I'm trying to make that work and probably and up. Yeah, medicated up. And yeah. I probably have my wife in another state. So there's that added layer of complexity. And I'm probably trying to go to school because I didn't 
my military education wasn't so right. great. So I have all of that going on, and you can only get me in on business hours. I got to see a primary care to get a referral to another place to go see a specialist. And he wants to talk to me before he can even order the imagery that I already know I need right. because I'm trained in combat medicine. Right. Like I'm like, okay, go get an x-ray first. I have soft tissue damage. We know this because of our experience in the military that an x-ray doesn't show soft tissue damage. So now we're jumping through all these hoops, and now it's four or five appointments to get imagery. And that's five work days. And that's five work days. And, and that's just to get started, yeah. just so you can just get referred to, to get who started. you need to go see. And you already know you need to go see this guy. Well, yeah. then imagine walking in to go see somebody, and they say, basically, we've got to start the discussion all over again. Exactly. Tell me again, what was the single event? Exactly. Tell me, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Oh, was he a good friend? And I'm just saying, you know, like, yeah. you, you think about that. We're talking about it, but, I mean, you really, if you listen to this and you're really um, thinking about it, how... You can see why people just lose it, and they're and, and they frustrated. Lose, and they lose faith in the system. And lose I, total faith in the system. And, and now they're out there floating on their own, and, and they don't understand anything going on because out of all yeah. those five appointments, nobody even explained some of the simple, yeah. basic things that I talked about with you guys. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing. We're all senior NCOs. Right. You think private SnapLink? Yeah. knows that it's not supposed to be this way or does he just feel like somebody shit down his neck for his service that's and exactly he, what and he that's why he ends up well, his family feels the same way the yeah parking lot you know like i had this this happened this week i uh went to the va with a friend they needed me to go and kind of help them navigate this process because it's a complicated process and um there was going to be it was kind of like your situation there's a medicine that if you get off it, you need to titrate down. And the VA said, no, you're going cold turkey because you... What? You, uh, they do substance abuse screening for fucking everything. And this person uh, tested positive for alcohol. This is an adult American... Over 21. Human yeah, yeah. being. Right, right. And they're like, you tested positive for alcohol, and that violates a policy that nobody knows about. Nobody knew. Apparently. Because you weren't supposed to be drinking alcohol with said yeah. medication. No, or not even the case. Really? It's just, it's a controlled substance so the VA to cover their own ass. You are shitting me. You are not allowed to consume alcohol ever or you don't get your medicine. And so, I mean, I can go what? into the details about, yeah, how preposterous is that? And the conditions of receiving controlled substance in the VA is that you sign a substance abuse Contract. You are shitting me. And the me. tests that they give you to screen you is substance abuse screening. So, for one, you're being treated like a drug addict. You've already, you, we know that you've been honorably discharged under good terms because you have VA care. So, you obviously are not a drug addict. Uh, or, or, I shouldn't say that. You have a track record of passing drug tests you're at least and a not doing drugs. Human being. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, you, we could start under the presumption that I'm not a drug addict. Right, and then go from there. Maybe do some other kind of assessment. Assessment. Two, in your medical records, you have if you have this medication's long term, a track record of being screened for substance abuse. So God forbid somebody gets that that's not in the medical profession and doesn't understand that that's standard or that that's doesn't mean that you have a drug problem because that looks pretty bad. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And. Let's face it, it's just a matter of time before the VA is breached, just like Martin Army Hospital was and OPMF was. Yeah. You know what I mean? So now, you know, yeah. what if you have business in, I mean, you're executive level, Rob. You got business in Singapore and you're trying to go there. And your competitor finds out about this breach and they find out that information and now you've been screened for substance abuse. Singapore's not going to let you in. No. Yeah. They have a zero tolerance policy. And people don't understand the ramifications of this and the doctors don't understand that. So anyhow, 
This person's trying to get their medication. They say, okay, fine, I'll come in. I'll do the substance abuse screening again. I'll pee in your little cup. I'll sign your silly contract that I was supposed to sign years ago. Or I should rephrase that, that the VA was supposed to have them sign years ago sure. before have, they even prescribed it. Yeah, the VA was supposed to have you yeah, sign. Yeah, exactly. And don't forget that if you're listening. <laughs> you have already fulfilled your obligation to Veterans Affairs, so don't make them let them make you feel like you owe them anything. So they go in. The contract cannot be signed because it's digital, which raises the question, well, if it's a digital contract, why do I have to be there? Right. Right? Well, it's just on digits. It's not actually digital. Because fuck you, that's why. Yeah, because fuck you, that's why. It's like <laughs> they, They're so backwards, they can't fix their tech to, to get this thing signed, so it can't be done. And Wait, they but can't there's technology a, out there. We oh, do it all the time. Of course. Have you contracts. been on a government computer? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, do you know how complicated? Like, yeah. so, so long story short, this person can't get their medication. Their, uh, the effects of withdrawal are starting to take place. This person has adult responsibilities like school, family, work, you know, things that we have to do to survive and live and be successful. And the clock's ticking. It's been ticking. And the VA says, well, maybe come back tomorrow and you can figure it out. And by the way, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get this medication. So now you're in physical anguish. Yeah. You're having physical effects from withdrawal. You know what I mean? And so, you know, this person comes out to the parking lot and we're, we're sitting in the truck like veterans do. We're sitting in the truck. And I'm like, you know, I'm, thank God I'm here. And we both said, like, this is why it happens. This is why veterans leave the VA, sit in the parking lot, and, and blow their fucking brains, brains out. Because this, you know what I mean? And No, it's 100% true. And the place yeah. that, the, the one place that you should be capable of relying on, like, all right, yeah. I've got this, it's supposed to transfer over, and it's going to take care of me, and it doesn't. Well, and the yeah. volume of people that are seen, I know we're getting really down a rabbit hole with VA and stuff, but <clears throat> you would think that the volume of people that are coming through those doors and the cases are very similar that there would be a faster solution already. You would think. You would think. But, I mean, I, to to flip to the other side of the coin, you, you know, you're standing in line to get your labs, and you've got a, a guy who's 25 who's just got med-boarded out of the Army or got out after his four-year term, and he's connected. Yep. you got a guy who's in his 80s or 90s. Yep. He served in yeah, Korea or true. World War II. you got Vietnam. This guy's dealing with Agent Orange and God knows what else yep. kind of funky shit he got exposed to. you got the Gulf War vets. you know, And then you've got you know, people like the Coast Guard just dealing with military sexual trauma or who knows. So the... The problem is large, and it's very, very complex. You know, and and I look at my slice of the pie, my part of the problem that affects me, uh, and yeah, it seems very straightforward. But you can't you know boil I mean? the. So, uh, I, I hear what you're saying, but I guess the way I would look at this whole thing is that you can't boil the ocean. You've actually got to take each of those cases sure. and those types of situations and deal with those individually and assign people that can actually resolve or figure out a way to mitigate and yeah. resolve those those why is issues. This, why is this not outsourced to the private sector? At this point? Well, that's a great question. Well, Because that that infrastructure already exists. It does. So why are we trying to reinvent the wheel? If they were to take the amount of money that they're spending on the VA and just be like, you know what, we're going to outsource you private. They they don't even have to outsource it. They just take that little blue card that you get that says your service connected, and it's 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 like a punch card. You go to whatever doctor you want, and you take the majority of the VA that's not specialty stuff like TBI and facial reconstruction and the things that the VA is really good at it. Yeah. And I just go wherever I need to go. Yeah. Because I'm a smart, self-determining, self-possessed human being. 
and then they just my provider just bills the they VA. They flip the bill. You yeah. know, just they it's, it's a it's a medical billing center. And, and build that, do it that way because, I mean, in the last year. I've gotten more help from an athletic trainer at Exos at the Andrews Institute sure. that I found through you know friends of mine and that was funded by benevolent organizations. Thank you, Eagle Fund, and thank you, Ranger Lead the Way Fund for doing that for me and Warrior Care. Yeah. Um, they did it, and I've been trying to get these things done at the VA for five years. And you know, as far as mental health, I get that outside of the VA. I don't blame. And still at Ganglion Block, you know, thank you very much for doing that for me. Um, I, I can't remember the name of the foundation that did it, but like, I know who I need to go see. I know what I need. Yeah. I don't need to go have 16 appointments. I talked to my primary care after six weeks at the Andrews Institute at Exos doing physical therapy and training. And his suggestion was that I do traction in the form of hanging by my feet. And I'm like, dude, it's not 1950. Like I just, trained with the guys who are training the guys in the that are going to the NFL for the draft. Right. And they said I need dry needling. So right. I appreciate your input, but hanging by my feet isn't going to fix a shoulder problem that like, I've had for 15 off, years. Like, thank yeah. you. Like, why are you trying to input your primary care general practitioner? And it's it just, and that's the thing. We need professionals that are focused in their field. Like, I shouldn't be seeing the same doctor as a World War II veteran. And ones that aren't over... And I'll tell you what, too, like ones that just aren't overworked to the point where... Exactly. I, like, I have... I, I had the... No shit. I'll, I'll tell this story. I don't care. I had a no shit problem with the VA um, two weeks ago after my buddy killed himself. I was like, I need to talk to somebody. I had an appointment set up. I was like, thank God I have this. Yeah. And I was sitting in a parking lot waiting to get my hair cut because COVID. So now everything's yeah. over the phone. And so I'm sitting in a parking lot and I'm talking to this guy on the phone and he's like, well, what's going on? I was like, dude, I seriously feel like my life is just falling apart right now. Yeah. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I've got this new career going on that hasn't really started paying off yet. And, you know, my mom just died and I've got a buddy that just killed himself. I was like, this is a problem. You know, like this, this shit fucking sucks. Yeah. And the guy, the guy's like, well, don't you feel like maybe you're just going through some sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy? I was like, excuse me, what'd you just say to me? Yeah. And he's like, don't you feel like you're just going through, like, don't, maybe it's just self-fulfilling. Like you just, and I was like, dude, you've got to be shitting me right now. Like what part of this is my fault? I was like, you fucking explain to me what part about my mom dying is my fault. You explain to me what part about, you know, my buddy killing himself is like my fault. You explain to me how all any of this is my fucking fault, dude. I was like, you know what? Jesus. You and me, we're fucking done. I was like, you, you like, no, yeah. like you're, I'm firing you. Like I want a new, <laughs> I was like, I, I straight up told the guy over the phone. I was like, I'm fucking firing you. I want a new counselor. Like this is yeah. bullshit. And I want to talk to your boss. Yeah. I called his boss. Like he was like, fine, you want to, you want his number? And then I got on Instagram and I put it out on Instagram and this is the power of social media. I absolutely love social media. I was fucking livid, man. Yeah. And I had contemplated like whether or not I put this out there. And I was like, you know what? This is BS. This is exactly yeah. why people go into a parking lot and they shoot themselves in the freaking head. Yeah. And I had gone off on the guy. I was like, do you, do you realize like if I had, like had I not had all the previous counseling and stuff that I had already been through where I'd learned yeah. that like, no, this shit isn't my fault. And like your job as a counselor is just sometimes to be a freaking punching bag, yeah. you know, verbal punching bag. And I was like, dude, had I not been through everything and understand like resiliency and all this other crap, like, yeah, I might've been that guy that just popped himself in the freaking dome. And I got livid. I was like, dude, like, how are you practicing medicine at this yeah. point in time? Like you could, like you could have very well killed somebody by saying some stupid ass shit like that. And I was like, I want to talk yeah. to your fucking boss. This is bullshit. And then I went on and I posted on my Instagram story about exactly what I just explained. And everybody was like, this is BS. Within like 10 minutes, I had a guy yeah. from the ER at that particular yeah. VA write me. 
And he was like, Hey man, I'm a doc in the ER. I just spoke with the head medical professional or the head, uh, the head psych professional in the ER. And this is not the first time this has happened. And he's running up the flagpole right now to go kind of crush this problem. After I got that message, that doc called me back almost felt like he was trying to save face on the subject. Yeah. And I was like, no, this is bullshit, dude. Like this is unreconcilable. Like you, like this is, you should not, I don't care if you're having a bad day. Don't show up to work. I'd rather had you cancel your appointment or push it off to somebody else. Like that is just freaking BS. Well, his boss called me back like three days later after I left him a message, his boss calls me back. And I'm like, look, man, like I, you know, I had a decent relationship with him beforehand, but I, I, this, this is crap. Yeah. You know, this is BS. Like not only do I want another provider, but like you guys need to figure this out because that could have just easily cause a veteran to off himself. That's, that's the thing. If, if the person him calling him, if that was their Hail Mary, their last resort, and it was, wasn't was you, yeah, right. then they say, okay, well, that was my last resort. That was as far as I'm willing to go. And then they go and they press the button and they're gone. And the guy's boss is like, well, is this a one-time deal or is it like a repeated thing? Does it matter? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right? But And I told him, I was like, no, this is a one-time deal, but... Yeah, like, I'm not going to lie to you. This is a one-time deal, but, I mean, this is a big freaking deal. Yeah, do you realize what one time can do to Paul's point, you know, and what we're talking about and, here? And do, you th- do you think that guy ramifications? Got, I, I guarantee you that guy didn't get oh, fired. Oh, got a reprimand probably. And, and, I mean, which is not necessarily maybe a, a firing may not necessarily need to happen. I mean, we could argue that retraining, right, something like that. Yeah. But something needs to occur here. Is he in the right profession or, or the right field well, of counseling no, individuals? There's or, no triaging and there's no there's no sorting of veterans either. Like, no. You know, like if you're, if you don't know the difference between a Ranger and a Green, Ber- Green Beret, maybe you shouldn't be counseling them right. or, until you get some kind of training on it. If you don't know right. what an ERB is and how to read it, you know, because I've got, we've got unique problems compared to somebody who did four years and is a victim of military sexual trauma. Totally different. You know, like that person has very specific needs that aren't going to be translatable to me. I had a similar experience with you. I was seeking grief counseling uh, at the VA and I'm talking to this guy and he knows I'm a sniper and you know I'm t- I was talking about my buddy Michael Jankowitz and how much you know guilt I have because I didn't you know get to tell him how much I cared for him and I loved him and, and what a good friend he was before he passed and the guy's like and I was also talking about another friend of mine who had killed himself and I told the doc like man if I if he would have just called me like then I would be satisfied. Like just call me, call your buddy before you decide to make a, a rash decision yeah. like pulling the trigger. Look, and and I even said that like it's not so that I can save your life. I'd like to do that. But call and say fucking goodbye. Yeah. Motherfucker. Yeah. Seriously. And you know, if you still want to press a button, it's your ride. You know? But fucking call me first. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to express to him. And he says to me, who's a fucking ranger sniper. He's like, you're just one person. You can't save lives. You can't. You can't. You can't save. Lives. I'm like, dude. I saved these people's lives in combat. That was my job. I understand what you're saying. I know I'm not responsible for saving everybody's life. Yeah. That's not what I'm trying to do here. But like, there was such a huge disconnect from the reality that I know and this, you know, counselor sitting in his chair with his legs crossed and his little leather patches on his corduroy jacket. And I'm like, dude, you've never done a push up. Like, how are you going to sit here and tell me I can't save someone's life? Like, I was, that was my business. Yeah, and you don't want to hear something else that's fucked up. Like, the reason I'm actually on podcasts and stuff is because I was talking, a buddy, talking to a buddy about this shit that was going through this stuff. Yeah. And he's like, hey, you need to get out there and you need to talk to people. And he's like, talking to you is specifically what got me off the ledge. Yeah. 
And, that, and, and for that counselor to sit there and tell you that, that's complete and total bullshit. You know how many yeah. lives you probably saved just by doing this podcast alone? You, you, you have absolutely so. no idea. You have absolutely no yeah. idea. It's like the guy that walked up afterwards that lost, like, Tink Tink. You know, when yeah. Tink Tink walked up, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you have no idea the impact you make on people. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and well I, do, I do know because I, I had a first sergeant, you know, and Jim Anderson, if you're listening, like, he, he saved my life. Right. Because he, we came back from a particularly shitty deployment. And this is, you know, the guy tatted up, could kick your ass. He's just a hard ass, hard charging ranger that, you know, feared by all, respected by all, and total badass. And he got in front of the company and was like, I'm kind of fucked up. And these are my problems. And I've got them because of this line of work. And I've got them because I've ignored them for a long period of time. And now I'm seeking counseling and doing this, that, and the other thing. That's awesome. And it, it was a light bulb. I'm like, well, shit, if this god of a war is having issues, like I need to go and talk to somebody right. because I'm not on his level and I'm going through the shit too. Right. And that's what started my journey, seeking mental health and, and trying to like take care of myself and do self-care and really looking myself in the mirror. And if he hadn't said that, who knows? Right. You know, who knows? I probably would have just drank myself to death like I was already do, trying to do. Oh, I couldn't even imagine. Right? I couldn't even imagine what would have happened to me had my buddy not sat down next to me. Yeah. I could imagine. And and that's the thing, you know, so you you go and you see these these people who are supposed to be mental health professionals and they don't get what we consider to be the basics, you know, and it's it's tough. Yeah. You know, it's it's tough to swallow. And, and they're not even experts in that particular field. Right. Very like often, you, yeah. you would, you would think that the guy that I had sat down and I had been funneled into is going to be, you know, some post-traumatic stress expert coupled with TBIs to understand yeah. the intricacies of all these different things of multiple deployments, everything going yeah. in and, and be able to explain to you how, you know, just basic, basic things. But instead I've got some guy that's on the other end of the phone being like, well, was he a good friend? Like, what's the one specific like, dude, event? It's a good thing what, this, is a, this, this is a like, phone call and not in person. Like, I should not like, be, dude. I should not be counseling a counselor. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, this is, yeah. this is fucked up. Yeah. Like, you know, I think that maybe what we're talking about too is it's going to take individuals who um, have been through this that actually go through that profession to actually come back and help, because we know an individual who. Um, went through similar types of trauma, both post-traumatic stress mil and military sexual trauma, who went back to school to get um, a psychology degree and for the purpose of, of helping. And mm -hmm. so you think that you see people who are like that and you also see people who have gone through traumatic brain injury and serious uh, post-traumatic stress who are going through training to become doctors now to be able to help people deal with, you know, the uh, stellate ganglion block or provide yeah. that. Right. So maybe it's going to take more of us than going and choosing those types of professions to be able to come back and heal thy own kind of thing, you know, and, and yeah. help one another. You know, it's funny, like, as you say that, that the one counselor that I actually connected with that had that way of explaining suicidal thoughts to me, the, that guy that I particularly connected with was a Marine Corps infantry officer yeah. that did the surge, or not the surge, that did... Uh, the first initial push into Iraq. Oh yeah. yeah. So he got it. Yeah. You know, when I was able to sit with him and like, he got it. Like, why do we not have more of these conversations with these people or, yeah. or why are they not? We need to recruit from within. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a start, you know, and, and you'll also that when you encounter these problems at the VA, they have to be addressed, you know, and every Almost single definitely. time. And the, and the way to do that is you, you call the white house hotline um, it's on the VA's website. You just go to va.gov 
and there's a search bar, you type in White House hotline, and the purpose of that hotline is solely to drive change. And uh, it's a VA system. It's not the best. I've called it. I was hung up on. Um, I called it another time and I said, would you like to take a survey after you talk to your, uh, you know, your customer service person or whatever? And I said, sure, I'll take the survey after the phone call. And it went straight to the survey. So I rated them poorly because I didn't get to talk to anybody, but the hotline is there. Um, the system is, is semi-functional, you know, so you got to call it and you got to, you know, explain what went wrong. And that's the only way it's going to change. You know, if you just say, ah, this fucking sucks and you go sit in your truck or you go back to the house and you drink a bunch of whiskey and say, fuck it, I'm going to gut it out. Then the next guy that goes in there might not, he might not do that. He might only make it to the truck. So, you know, that's one way. And then the other way that you do it, like if you're, um, like in, in the situation I was describing where I had a friend who was going to have an, who already had an interruption in their medication. If your doctor's not helping you and like very often happens, you can't get your patient advocate on the phone because they are overworked um, in many cases and it's hard for them to be able to pick up the phone or it's hard for them to answer emails, then you call the veteran crisis line. It's funny because when you call the VA on their main number, it says if you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, call the veteran crisis line, but that is not solely for suicide. It's for crisis. And if you're having an interruption in medication, if you're seeking mental health and you can't get it, if you need care, because, you know, like I was last year, your dominant arm is numb and you can't use it and you can't get imagery for months and months, which is not a tenable situation. You, you call that number, call the, the veteran crisis line and explain the problem and explain that nobody else will help you. And, you know, just be honest. And I've had to do that many, many times for myself and for people that I'm trying to help navigate the system. So the answer's there. It's not ideal, but... You know, that, that's what we have right now. I don't think a lot of people knew that that crisis line. I didn't, even, like, know, I didn't yeah. even know that was a thing. And I've heard it on the phone when I called the VA to like refill yeah. meds. Well, you know, it should be, you should always call your patient advocate first. If you're not happy with your care, you're not getting what you need. But, you know, if nobody else is going to listen to you, that's a crisis. You know, if you're not getting your medication, if you're not getting care, if your body's breaking down, if you're not able to do your job mm -hmm. and take care of your family and pay your bills and be responsible and live your life, that's a crisis. And that's what that hotline's for. And those people care. They will help. You may get hung up on, you know, then I know the national suicide hotline. If you call that you, five times out of seven, I've been hung up on whether I'm calling for myself or I'm calling on behalf of someone else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not perfect, but... Well, it's I hope there. that I hope that also more veterans end up or continue going into public office in order to help drive change from a legislative standpoint. Maybe even you know, you know, it's so hard to even do that. Right. It is so hard to even do that when True. you look at the amount of money it takes to run for office. Yeah, you know, like where's a guy like me get funding? I would love to run for public office. Where's a guy like me get funding for that? You might get some now. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I dropped a lot of f bombs. You know, like nobody likes that Donald Trump mentality. But I mean, that's not even mine. Like I'm a constitutionalist at heart. Like I believe in the Constitution. If it doesn't fit in the Constitution, like why? What's it doing here? But. uh yeah, I mean, it's so hard for these these veterans to get out there and, and get in a public office to be able to do those things. It's hard for anybody, but you're right, especially veterans. And then, of course, there's always a stigma that kind of goes with even being a veteran. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, it, yeah. We well, probably, and, well, and we stigmatize our civilian counterparts because we have a bad experience with one or two of them. You yeah. know what I mean? If you go to the VA and you have a bad doc and you just say, well, fuck all the docs at the VA. 
Yeah. And that, that quickly extends to, well, fuck all the civilians because I had a bad experience with one boss or this. And that. Look, people are shitty. Mm-hmm. But you got allies out there. You know, people want to help you. And, you know, look up the foundation that has your unit name on it. Yeah. And give them a call and see what they can help you do and see what you can help them do because they need help with all kinds of stuff. So, Matt, we could probably go on for another three more hours and there's still so much that we could still cover. I so, if nothing else, we'll have to get back together again in for the sure. future and do that. I just want to thank you for coming all this way. I appreciate you. Hey, and, thanks uh, for having me. It's been a good time. Yeah, likewise. Definitely enjoyed it. Appreciate you. No, I appreciate you guys. Like, it's been great. Thanks for dinner last night. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. No lie. Yeah, that was yeah, cool. Thank we you. don't always get to appreciate hang out that. with our guests. So. Yeah, that yeah, was, was nice. Was, it was. Cool. It was I'm not going to lie. It was kind of awkward when I first showed up, and they're like, well, we can't talk. <laughs> and I'm like, well, Rob was just generally why am awkward. I, why am I here? You know, and so what did we talk? We talked politics and a couple of other things. <laughs> like, I am here to hang out. Wait, I'm a genuinely awkward person? <laughs> You're just super awkward. You make everybody feel weird. Whatever. <laughs> no, I'm fucking with you, man. Uh, no, but I, it's so funny because I told a story of, you know, a lot of us are in the podcasting world. You end up um, not wanting to hear that you information until yeah. you get behind the microphone because what will end up happening is I'll say something like, hey, Matt, you remember you tell me? And it's not, it's not it's nearly not as same. funny it's not it's yeah not same, but uh but yeah it was good man i did pick up i did hear you telling a couple of stories so i was i was telling my wife and i was telling paul like hey remember remember darby remember to remind <laughs> me we gotta talk about the leprechaun yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the leprechaun's a good story uh, yeah. Yeah. uh well we're coming up on leprechaun time here soon so you'll be right in uh memory oh. lane here in about another 30 days or so oh or, beautiful yeah, oh, a couple I can't weeks. Wait. Green beer. Who doesn't love green beer? Turns your poop green and everything. Who doesn't love green poop? Uh, Safe travels to you, brother. Hey, thank you, sir. Appreciate you guys.